Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hi, we're live in the Skyline studio uh, here on a what will be a Tuesday morning. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about um, UFO sightings and uh, how they were featured on the new Unsolved Mysteries revival. Um, that'll be coming up in just a couple of minutes. Herb Weissbaum is going to join us. He's our consumer man. You check out consumerman.com. He joins us to talk about consumer uh, news uh, and uh, all that uh, great stuff. Help you out with uh, scams and money-related issues and all that cool stuff. He's a great guy. He's on uh, usually once a month. Um, we always play back some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and I suggest you do because it's awesome. Uh, and we're going to all, all the way back to 1971 with David Brenner's debut on The Tonight Show. And that's pretty historic, considering he was on well over 155 times, is what we uh, discovered. Hosted the show as well, guest hosted it. But this is, uh, we're going to play back his actual debut from 1971. We're going to talk about celebrities who ran for political office, most expensive foods in restaurants, most expensive foods anywhere. There is a West Loop restaurant that claims to have the most expensive PB&J. Not sure why you would want to pay a lot of money for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But if you want to, it's there. Uh, the lockdown has made men lust after Alexa. I don't I don't even know what that means. But we'll, uh, we'll try to figure that one out. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. That's the uh, Team Hochberg phone line if you want to uh, join us. Uh, we love talking about uh, uh, UFOs and things like that on uh, on the show, and I'd like to welcome to uh, to the show uh, Tom Reed, who actually experienced a UFO sighting and abduction. We want to hear his story, and then Judge Kevin Titus uh, from the uh, 30th Court uh, District Court is uh, is here as well. Uh, Tom, hello. Hey, how are you? Good, and uh, Kevin, hello. Good morning. How are you? All right. Uh, Tom, a fascinating, fascinating uh, story here. It dates sure. back to September 1st, 1969. Um, Which was a holiday, by the way. Was it Labor Day? Yeah, it was Labor Day. Yeah, yeah Labor Day. Um, so, September 1st, 1969. How old were you then? I was nine and a half. Nine and a half. And um, yeah. you experienced... Um, not only just the sighting of a UFO, but an abduction as well. Uh, please tell us the story. Well, first of all, I've never in my life said I was abducted. Oh. Just, just so you know. Okay. Now, the media will tell you that. I've never said that. Okay. Uh, we had an experience, sure. Um, we were uh, leaving our diner. It was, uh, like I said, Labor Day. It was a very uh, hot afternoon. It was probably uh, right around 90 degrees that day. So um, it was unseasonably hot. And... Um, we were. In, I was on a station wagon, my mom's station wagon, and my brother was to the right of me in the back seat. My mother was driving. My grandmother was in the passenger seat, and I was riding a horse show that night. And so we were getting kind of a late, you know, um, it was a late night for us, and we were heading home through a shortcut through this bridge, which is the infamous Sheffield Covered Bridge now. And um, as we entered the bridge, we had. Um, seen uh, what looked like um, maybe uh, some odd lights coming through the uh, the planks of the the bottom of the bridge, and it uh, didn't seem to uh, line up with our headlights. And That was the first thing my grandmother had mentioned. You know, obviously didn't think too much of it. We entered the bridge, and by the time we had come out the other side, 
um, and off to the left side of the car, um, I was actually giving my brother a candy. You know, some say I was giving him a lollipop. It was actually a fireball. It was cinnamon fireballs. And um, my grandmother had turned around from the passenger seat to remind me that it probably wasn't a, a good idea. He was too young. He could choke. And when she turned her head around, she actually had seen this um, sphere, if you will, um, rise up from what would have looked like the banks of the, the river. I don't know if it had come out of the water. I only saw it when it was rising up from the banks. And it was probably, uh, I'm going to say, maybe 30 feet around. It was uh, looked like a bubble if you had, uh, you know, like when you took it as a kid, you had the bubbles and you blew a bubble. I mean, it looked like a round, self-contained sphere. And um, on each side of it, it had um, some rods of light, which were very focused, which kind of came down out of the sides of it, almost forming what looks like um, a sugar cone, I guess, which is how ancient aliens um, depicted it. And um, those rods went back into it, or they just kind of faded out or what have you. I was young. And then we just had this sphere again, which was hovering maybe two and a half to three stories high. And it had... um, gone in the direction we were going it had gone away from the vehicle our car and then kind of circled around and going in the same direction we were going but behind a line of trees and um at that point my brother um, was looking around too he was on the other side of the car he happened to spot a second one also over the water which was more orangey in color and it was lower it almost looked like it was just hovering or you know, um, right over the Housatonic River, right over the water, whereas this one was now over a cornfield. And um, so my mother came down uh, the road, kept going. It was, um, like I said, it was uh, the windows were open. It was hot night. Um, we were trying to find this thing through the trees. We could no longer see it for whatever reason. And uh, there was a telephone pole there, and she pulled off next to the telephone pole. There was a clearing to the left. And while we were looking for this white sphere, if you will, uh, my mother had noticed that there was, she was the first one to see it, really, that there was this third object, which was, you know, more of a typical type of a disc-shaped object. Um, and we were just captivated. I mean, we were just staring at this thing. And um, so to put this into perspective, we were actually in the middle of three objects. And all of a sudden, we felt like we were... Um, it was, if you've ever been in the middle of a hurricane, I lived in Florida for a long time, so I'm really um, sensitive to barometric pressure change. And it was like when you're in the eye of a storm, all of a sudden everything's just oddly quiet, very okay. still, Tom, no, not Tom, a sound. Tom, yeah. We, yeah. we have to take yeah. a break. Uh, continue okay. with the story. We have to take a break. As soon as we get back, continue with the story. Uh, Tom Reed is with us, and we'll talk with... Uh, and uh, we'll talk with uh, Judge Kevin uh, Titus as well uh, about this UFO uh, experience that happened uh, to Tom back in Jillio on 720 WGN. Uh, Tom Reed experienced a UFO sighting and an abduction. He was telling us the story before we took a, bro- a break. And uh, Judge Kevin Titus from the 30th District Court is uh, here as well. Tom, uh, continue with your story, please. Yeah, so um, we were uh, in the middle of these 
three objects, if you will, parked on this um, dirt road next to a telephone pole, which is still there to this day. And um, again, the environment was affected by these three objects, whether or not they were something they were working in unison with each other or uh, what have you. But we felt almost as if we were underwater. You know, you go deep in a pool, you can hear a tapping sound and it echoes, but everything else seems to be muted. But the sound, these little sounds that you hear seem to be amplified. That's kind of what it was like. Mm -hmm. And um, and so at this point, we were just focused on the disc that was in the field. I mean, we were all just looking at this thing and trying to make out what it was. I mean, we really didn't have, I mean, it was silent. It was hovering. It was huge. It was probably about a, a you know, I was younger, so it seemed bigger, but I've been back there a lot. So I look at the area, and I remember where it was. You know, we there with my family and and it was about a hundred yards i mean it was a big it was a big um vessel wow and um and so to give you an idea what it looked like for your listeners um the shell itself i've always referenced it as looking like a turtle shell and uh and it did it almost had a slight luminous to the shell itself the top of it and it had almost a pewter type finish there was like a bronze or or um brass type color to it it wasn't one solid color it wasn't a shiny silver like you hear about or see on you know the news or what have you it was kind of tarnished with different colors within it and it um, appeared to have a, a texture to it lines in it and i'm not going to say panels but it it had a, a, a you it had a pattern to the outside of it and uh, the center of it around the middle of it was very uh, like a fat and kind of a wide middle section uh, nothing came to a point, or it was very much, uh, you know, the middle of it was larger than the top and bottom of it, if you were to look at it with respect to a typical, you know, what a UFO, I guess, would look like. And so that's kind of what it had. Um, as far as the outside, that's kind of what it um, looked like. It was a dim glow from underneath it. It uh, hovered silently. Um, and again, it wasn't just one solid color. And so we were kind of Looking at the colors of it, the right side was a little more uh, yellowy or bronze-looking than the left. Um, and whether or not it was put off these colors, or if this was just from the, you know, from the moonlight that the way it was hitting it, we don't know. But then all of a sudden, the um, the car kind of lit up. I mean, it was just like I could see the inside of the car. I could see my mom. I could see the back of her head. I could see the interior of the car. And then, bang! I mean, it was just like. All of a sudden, these crickets and katydids exploded, and it was just a change in the environment. All of a sudden, we felt more awake. It was a very weird moment, and then we went out. And um, and so when we, uh, I say, come to or whatever, because I don't know how we were taken from the car, which is why I don't use the word abduction, because I have no idea who took us out of the vehicle. Mm. But my grandmother and mother were now reversed. And several hours had gone by. So my grandmother was the first one to come to in the car. And my mother was not responding. My brother wasn't responding. I was out. So my grandmother took the station wagon. She had to turn the car on now. The ignition was now off. She had to turn the ignition, put the headlights back on. And when we stopped, the car was running with the headlights on. So the ignition was actually turned off. She, we had no idea, or my grandmother had no idea at this point, how long of a period we were out. So she drove down um, Old Covered Bridge Road, turned around and went back to town because we were only maybe a mile from town, whereas our house was about seven miles away. She went for help because everyone else in the car 
was out. And when she got to Silk Store, which is in downtown Sheffield, they were still open, but again, it was Labor Day, so they were staying open later to like 11 o'clock. And she had walked into Silk's and, um, you know, looking for help, I guess, if you help for what. And uh, when she got out of the car, the door had slammed. I think that's what jarred me and had me wake up. And I had followed her into Silk's, and she kind of was not herself. She um, was... Uh, in disarray, she got caught up with some bikes and strollers that they sold in there. And uh, I was grabbing her hand, like, Nana, Nana, let's go back outside. And, you know, I, I was not myself either. And um, we walked back out into the um, the green, if you will, in front of our diner, which was right there, too. And uh, by the time I got out, my mother was um, awake, I guess you could say, and my brother was still unconscious. And uh, at that point, um, we had driven home. And it was the next morning that uh, we were in the diner and all these people were calling in on the radio station and saying they saw this thing. And, of course, then, you know, we talked in depth about it. And um, that's kind of how the the uh, diner itself became uh, famous on its own, I guess, because that was where all the talk kind of um, started from. And that's uh, that was the hub for conversation. Wow. So did you encounter you encountered some beings as well? Well, as far as 1969 goes, I have a lot of strange memories of what happened in that time frame. Um, I remember um, seeing or being in what looked like a large airplane hangar. Um, I remember seeing some odd figures. I remember, um, you know, hearing my mother call for me. Um, You know, wherever we were was much bigger than the craft we saw because where we were was like an empty Walmart. And... I mean, if you were to take a typical Walmart and just remove everything, um, that's kind of the space I was in was massive. So it was not the craft itself. And um, so we've toyed with the idea, you know, with the Minutemen missile sites, the, you know, the Command Aerospace, Pratt & Whitney, Sikorsky, you know, where were we? We really don't know where we were or how we got there. Um, And, um, you know, we've got an awful lot of people who... um, you know, judges and lawyers and bankers and historians and that uh, really have gone out of limb for us because this is such a widely witnessed event. And at the same time, when you really don't know where you were, you really don't want to um, overstate. You know, you have to be palatable and remain, you know, open to what could have really happened. Um, but uh, we were definitely removed from the vehicle. There's no question. And what we saw was off-world. No question. Um, we were affected. Um a great deal by whatever this was or these fields that um, had hit our car. Um, you know, some people have uh, suggested that maybe the neurons in our head were were affected by this ELF, which was um, quite prevalent, uh, you know, but uh, we all remember very similar things. We all remember, um, you know, you know, seeing things that, that, that to this day um, question, you know, our, you know, what was it? Um, but then again, um, you know, there were 250-some-odd witnesses to this thing. Um, Fifteen, uh, I, I don't know I don't know if you know this, went to the um, United Nations in 1992. Uh, to, do you know about that? October 2nd, 1992, um, this actually went before the United Nations. And, um, and one of the reasons that it did go to the United Nations was that there was the 
Hudson River Valley uh, sightings, and that was something that uh, was big in the 80s. You know, everyone had kind of in the area knew about the Hudson River Valley sightings. And so this uh, attorney who knew my father, my father was an attorney, my father was also a politician, and he approached my father and said, you know, would you mind if we used your uh, case in, in, in Sheffield, Massachusetts, um, to kind of add some credibility to the Hudson River Valley case because it was also up the water, you know, you're an attorney, that kind of thing. And so my father said, sure, is, you know, I do have aspirations. Please don't go too far with it, but absolutely you can mention our diner and so on and so forth. And um, later on when my father um, was writing a book about all this and had the documents that he had gotten back from the U.N., my father lost his life on the very same date, not the same year, but October 2nd. Mm. And so that's kind of what drove historians, and that's kind of what drove the community to say, well, you know, he was advocating something that was very difficult for locals to deal with, for locals to talk about, and so maybe we could do something in return for him. And, um, and that is why uh, the uh, historians got together. I got contacted way back when, and uh, it ended up... Um, Getting, uh, uh, we got a letter from the Historical Society that they were going to do something with it, a Remembrance Day of some kind. And my father got a bench in his name, that kind of thing. And then a couple of weeks later, in February 2015, uh, we, um, we found out that it went to a census and they actually inducted it into United States history uh, because there was so many witnesses. You know, it passed the polygraph test that, you know, there were, uh, you know, there were medical records. There were, uh, so many things that just corroborated what happened. And the fact that our diner for so many years had this friction. We had a lot of New Yorkers coming in, you know, the astute coming in from Albany and, and Hartford that were going to bet on the races because we had horse track in town. And the diner that we had wasn't too far from the horse track. So we had a lot of locals and we had a lot of people coming in from out of town. And, of course, when you talk about UFOs back in 1969 and you got a 29-year-old single mother running the diner, you know, she kind of falls prey to some comments, and that kind of happened. And you had people sticking up for her, and you had people that were rude. And, and so there was this dynamic, and the police department was only a, a stone throw away from our back door. So the chief of police would come in our diner to keep the peace. And so with that, there were um, not police reports, but there were, you know, back in the day, you didn't arrest people for a little push and shove. It was like, Billy, go home, you're drunk, you know, that kind of thing. So, but... Galata, who was in the show, his father was actually the chief of police in town, and he basically lived in her diner to keep the peace. So in 2015, they had shown that the, or the way it was worded to me was like, you know, Billy the Kid altered the railroad. Therefore, he was historically significant. Mm. Well, our diner altered the natural progression of the community. Therefore, the event as a whole was true. And so... There was no question that these people saw something. It was just a matter of what was it, yeah, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. the way it was way back when. It was, well, could you have seen this? Could it have been this? And, you know, so we have so many people supporting us. And we've got written documentation. We go back and forth with the historical society. The governor inducted us into state. You know, so there's an awful lot of people that just say, you know, Tom, just be very cool at how you mention it. Be palatable. Don't say too much. Right. We got your back. But don't make us look stupid. Right. We don't want egg in our face. And that's kind of where we are. You know, how do you make sense of something that doesn't make sense? How do you word it? Because there's only so many places you can go with it. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I know we were extracted from the vehicle. There's no question. Um, I was out. How do I really know what happened? So there, I have to be open, and I don't want to uh, overstate, but um, we saw something extraordinary. Yeah. No okay, question. Tom. Tom, hang on, okay? Yeah. Hold on.
You got it. Uh, and, yep. uh, and Judge, hang on. Uh, Tom Reed is with us. He's telling us about his experience with the UFO sighting uh, and more. And uh, we'll talk with uh, Judge uh, Kevin Titus as well about this whole uh, incident uh, right here on uh, 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. We're here till uh, 4 o'clock. Tom Reed uh, is telling us about his experience with a UFO sighting and encounter. And uh, Judge Kevin Titus from the 30th District Court is uh, with us as well. And um, Tom, let me ask you this. How did your, uh, the, the, so the, the town and your family, how did you process all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it was very difficult. Um, we were really the only family talking about it because, uh, you know, when you came into our diner, I mean, everyone else was coming in. Uh, but here's something else that they didn't mention on, on Salt too. Our diner, when my mother used to run a tab, you know, back in the day, I don't remember, you know, people just ran tabs for people, pay on sure. Friday. Sure. And so my grandmother um, agreed. My grandmother actually ran it. Um, my mother was there a lot, too, but she basically ran it. And um, we used to have banana seed bikes back in the day. So all these kids in the neighborhood had these bikes. And we used to store them in the back for everybody. And um, we had a uh, had a, uh, a jukebox, an old um, Wolitzer jukebox in there. So I'm hearing back, back talk here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And I don't know where it's coming from. So um, anyway... Um, if you want to listen to music or whatever, because it was out in the middle of nowhere, basically, you know, you great parenting was a pretty good sized town, but the radio station went off the air at five. So, you know, we had a, a jukebox. And so if anyone wanted to hang out or whatever, you came to the diner, had a shake, listen to a jukebox. And so it was a social spot. And of course, you know, we had, we had the, the bikes for the kids. So they would all come in, have breakfast together, walk or ride their bike to school as, a, as maybe 20 or 30, 30 of us would, because they're right across the street from the school. And then after school, everyone would come back, have those shakes or hang out, listen to music, and their local, you know, the fathers, you know, who were farmers, you know. So they were up at 5 o'clock in the morning milking cows or whatever. So by 3 or 4 o'clock, they've already had 3 or 4 beers, right? So it got kind of difficult after school, and, and it was difficult to deal with the, the, the comments and the, the rudeness. And my mother used to reference this table of four, that would just be obnoxious, you know, and and so that was difficult. So we kind of clammed up, you know. After a while, you're like, "There's no point in talking about this anymore because it's it's not helping anybody." Yeah. And even though there were a lot of other people in the area that saw it, like the kids all went to school, went to Sheffield Center School, and we were all drawing these sketches, and they were the teachers were taping them up on the chalkboard in fourth grade, and people were talking about it on the school bus, and and so. It was one of those things where you couldn't help but talk about it, but once you did, you know, it was kind of like you can't jump into the subject with one foot, right? So um, it was tough, and then you try to back out of it, and you go, we don't really want to deal with it anymore. And so my mother decided to sell the diner, and we moved to Great Barrington and um, started over, started life over there, and it wasn't too far away, but it was enough that yeah. – um, 
you know, it was a, it was a fresh start. And Great Barrington is actually the historical society that decided to move forward and induct it, not not Sheffield. But, but um, so to give you an idea, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, there were fights. It was um, just it was a, a tough time. And uh, and uh, but you know what? Uh, what at the end of the day, a lot of us stuck together. We never wavered, and together. As a community and as a, a group, we, we made United States history. Mm-hmm. Now, Judge, uh, when did you get involved in this story? Okay, um, it was about 2015. I had just got out of the military a couple of years ago, and um, I spent 23 years in the military. I was living in Texas, and I came home back to my home turf, which is in Litchfield County, the northwest corner of Connecticut. And... Uh, one day, my wife and I were just traveling around uh, briefly up in the Sheffield area, and we went to the old cover bridge I used to know in the meadows. It used to be a great eating place for all kids with a drive-in that used to be there back in our days in the 60s. And uh, we went over to the bridge, and my wife just crossed the um, the bridge, and Deanne and I looked at this plaque, and this plaque said, oh, well, it could be a historical plaque about something about Chase Rebellion, I thought, in the area. And I looked down, and it it talked about the the UFO incident of uh, September 1969, and as I read through it, I saw the name Thomas E. Reed. And I eventually said, wait a minute, I know the Reeds. My grandparents knew the Reeds. Uh, I believe his father used to beat the town selectman, like my grandfather at one time, and he was a renowned doctor, and everybody knew knew um, the Reeds. And my um, grandfather was uh, one of the few people that Tom's Reed's dad would call James. His name was Jim, and, uh, I mean, James W. Ryan, but only friends would call him Jim. So anyhow, the story was that I saw the marker, and I immediately made contact with the Sheffield Police Department and said, can you please get a hold of Tom Reed if you can? I'm an old friend of his. We, are, we came from the same neck of words, but I want to make sure that's the same one. So after we did, uh, about a week or two later, Tom called me at my home, and we started to... Uh, you know, remembering and talking about things and people we knew. And the next thing we knew, Tom and I knew that we all kids knew each other at one time way, way back. And uh, we came from a very small community. There was more than, uh, you know, like a thousand people lived in this area. And uh, so I called Tom, and Tom came back up from uh, his home in either Florida or Tennessee. And he came up, and we decided to uh, get together and talk about it. And it was old times. We, we remembered friends and family and things of that nature. And I was also, I'm also a very well-renowned historian as well as uh, as a judge. And um, I have was uh, called in to, um, you know, he asked me if I could look into this matter and maybe see if there's something to do to make it uh, a little more noted. I did research, did document searches and things like that. Uh, Tom also provided me with documents from the governor of Massachusetts and uh, also from um, the uh, Great Barrington Historical Society uh, and, and things of that nature. And we all got together and after did some research and uh, knew that something happened that same time because I was visiting my grandparents that weekend, that Labor Day of 1969. I was about 11 or 12 and uh, visiting them. And uh, it, uh, everybody in that area for a 12-mile range from Great Barrington down to about Canaan, Connecticut. Um, it was spotted by close to over 250 people. And I happened to know uh, an experience with my neighbors and uh, my grandparents all uh, looked up and saw something strange that day. So then I did some more research with the government. I found some government archives that had verified that something um, happened weird that weekend. Um, there were no helicopters and no airplanes uh, were listed, but there was a radar tech. They had a reserve base, which is now the Great Barrington Airport now. 
private airport. Mm. And they used to have uh, military reserve units, air unit up there, and they used to experiment with uh, aircraft and things of that nature. And, uh, well, they called, and they, the report said that they had nothing unusual, but they uh, nothing that they had put up, such as a helicopter plane. And the next thing they're saying is that, that they did record something was strange. It was seen over a 12-mile range. It was seen by so many people, and they recorded it, but they couldn't explain what it was. Mm. And then there was a WSBS radio. Um, people are calling in to Tom Jay down there, and uh, people are going crazy about something they were seeing, and they were reporting there were a panic in the area. So there were documents about that, and there was a couple newspaper articles that stated something had happened on that day on September 1st of 1969. Yeah, so Yeah, so... What was interesting about the show, too, they showed the Great Barrington Police Department open up this binder from 50 years ago. Which and this, by the way, the, the show that you're talking about is a, uh, uh, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, uh, Berkshire's UFO, yeah. yeah so I, the, the, police, the police department, they showed the Great Barrington Police Department open up this binder. And, uh, I mean, it's a 50-year-old binder, and it was a holiday weekend. They're showing two, uh, you know, two, epi- you know, two uh, uh, police reports or re- reports of some kind, incident reports. And uh, we're we're all looking at this thing, going, "Are you kidding me?" It was a holiday weekend. It was it, it should be packed with, you know, uh, reports. And look at the the following day, and even Sheffield, which was, my God, a, a, a tenth the size of Great Barrington, had several, but they never actually showed them. I mean, Galata was on the show, going, "Oh, my father, you know, we went out in a police car. We were looking for. He was getting reports all the time, so we knew something was happening." Why didn't they ask for those reports? I don't understand why they focused on Great Barrington with a binder that obviously, you know, was missing some pages in it. Mm. But um, Kevin's right. There were a lot of reports. And Tom Jay was a ham radio operator, and he actually called the police department and got the names of the people who called. The reason Tom Jay and the radio station had so many people on the radio the following day in our diner, which was heard by so many people, was because the Great Barrington Police Department gave him their names. And phone numbers because they had called the police department. Now it wasn't and a there crime, were, and, so there's and not. There were also a, yeah. extreme, there, he recorded. Uh, he liked to do a lot of polka music, John, Tom G. But he recorded all these recordings for people calling in, and we're still trying to find those original recordings. They're still like missing. Uh, they and, were actually and rebroadcast. Put a lot of validity on a lot of this. Yeah. And um, I, Tom Jay's wife is still alive today, and she remembers it. And um, we were told, and I think you know this, um, Kevin, that uh, uh, WSBS Radio um, is trying to locate the tapes. There is a possibility that they're at Tom Jay's family's house in Arizona. Um, the WSBS was rebought, was purchased by another uh, company, and um, a lot of those tapes were given uh, to uh, his son. So I don't know how if it's ever going to materialize, but there is, an op- there is a chance that they might still have them because they did replay them in, ni- in, the, in the 80s, mm. sometime in the, within the 90s. So they were around in the 80s, um, and I think that was probably because the incident was going to the, um, you know, to uh, the United Nations in support of 33426, which is why it's in the Roswell Museum. But um, so I'm guessing that if they still had them in the 80s, then they've got to be somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So we're keeping our fingers crossed for that, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, gentlemen, hold on. Uh, Tom Reed is with us, who had had an experience with a UFO uh, back in 1969. And uh, Judge Kevin uh, Titus from the 30th Court District is with us. We'll uh, talk about uh, this uh, a UFO, actually a UFO park 
that uh, we want to talk about and some other things as well um, right here on 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the uh, Skyline studio in downtown Chicago. Coming up after uh, 1 o'clock, Herb, the consumer man, Weissbaum, is going to join us. He is a consumer reporter and uh, joins us uh, once a month to answer any and all of your questions about uh, scams or consumer issues and to talk about the latest consumer news. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We are speaking with Tom Reed, who experienced a UFO uh, uh, encounter, and uh, Judge uh, Kevin Titus. Um, and uh, uh, Tom, tell me about the UFO park. Yeah, um, so back in 2015, um, and this has been something that has uh, been uh, turned on its head, too, um, the town of Sheffield actually unveiled um, a monument, and uh, it was actually paid for um, by it was a donation. Um, the locals donated uh, whatever they could to build this monument or marker. It was never meant really to be a mo- monument. It was a marker. And um, it was actually large because, uh, and i got to tell you this, because where it was placed uh, was farming uh, farmland, so it was zoned for farming. So you couldn't actually permanently adhere it to the ground, so they made it larger so that it couldn't be stolen. So this a monument that was paid for by the community, ABC News covered it live when it was unveiled in my honor, um, was placed in uh, this area not far from where we saw this uh, craft, if you will. And the reason that it was able to be put there was what that the bridge had been um, blocked off since 1994. The road was not passable, so the, the uh, county shut the, the road down. And so this area that used to be like a turnabout became like a park today. And so they, the town put the monument there. Um, a lot of people uh, were really supportive. I had uh, gotten a slew of sponsors. The Roswell Museum donated some money and some park benches. And even Unsolved Mysteries has now donated a bench. Uh, Travel Channel, Mission Declassified, Ancient Aliens, um, Factor Fake, Ben Hansen, uh, you know, Travis Walton for Fire in the Sky, Mike Barr from Ancient Aliens, an electric car manufacturer by the name of Shockwave Motors, all donated... Uh, you know, benches. We even got a $7,000 telescope donated by somebody in Louisiana, uh, Gary Holloway. And um, and so with that, this area has just exploded and become like this UFO park. And um, and that's also um, been something that, um, you know, now there's like this rebranding effort. You know, there are certain people involved in this thing that think that maybe they should, you know, rebrand the park now. It's been the Tom Reed UFO Money at Park for a while. Now maybe we can make it more something that's more general for the community. And, of course, there's a couple of cunning people that are involved in that. One of them was actually in, in the show. Um, but um, with that, it's become such a tourist attraction. Now there's, hey, do, can we put a hot dog wagon in there? Can we sell ice cream? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I live a 1,000 miles away from the park. So, um, well, look, Tom, I was also, you have oh, a me. Judge, Judge was going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, we, we, needed, we also wanted to discuss what uh, these documents and what each means. Uh, that makes this park what's so unique and why it's in history the way it is. 
Um, this is a very important part. For the historical aspect of this park, it's, there are other people that would like to make it um, something other than it is, and it, this, the historical aspect of this park is very important. The documents themselves, especially the, like the governor uh, signing a document saying that uh, it is accepted in Massachusetts history, is very big uh, with Governor Baker. And then you also have the documents in the Great Barrington Society. Although it did not take place in Great Barrington, they had a display in archives, I believe Tom had in the museum over there, and they want more or less to kind of make it their thing when it really took place in Sheffield. But the main thing here is is that when this document from the governor was brought to me and all these documents, I did research to make sure that everything matched, you know, the I's and the T's were all crossed. And when I got into the detail and research of this thing, it came completely clear to me that this was a historical event that needs to be documented. And with me sealing it and signing it, it made it part of history, which made it significantly true. And they have, in fact, a, a nice display with the papers, I believe, in the Roswell UFO Museum. And uh, Tom can tell you about that as well. But this was... Very, very important, and, and, and as far as um, we're trying to keep it as a historical park, a historical site, but there are some people, as Tom meant, that are trying to call it their park or something yeah, like there's that, monetary, and it's, there's it's monetary, not correct. Uh, yeah, there, I guess there's some locals that think that, you know, and let's face it, I mean, there's always going to be that. It's a, right now it's a judgment-free park. I mean, there's I lease the land. You can hang out there all you want. There's no money to be made. We're not writing a book. I'm not selling anything. I'm not charging people to go to it. But I guess, you know, when you have so many people now coming into that park and that area, you know, there are locals that are going, hey, I've got a hot dog wagon. I've got an ice cream truck, you know. So, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but um, one of the things I want to mention to you, that some of the things that have been circulated in the papers, um, even the Boston Globe picked up on this, and they, they really didn't accurately portray this. The governor issued two citations, not one. The very first citation from the governor, if you look at some of the articles, they'll say, oh, the governor said it was written in error. Well, the truth of the matter is the first one did have an error, and it didn't have a date of incident. And so two weeks after, the first one was actually, um, and Kevin knows this, he looked it over, the first one didn't have a date. So if you've got like a proclamation in your honor, a day of remembrance, or that kind of thing, there has to be a date in that letter so you know what date is. And, and the first governor's citation, and the lieutenant governor was on it too, did not have a date of incident. Mm. And so two weeks later, we were issued a second governor's citation to correct the first one. But the papers never tell you that. They don't say, hey, listen, you know, you know, the first one had an error in it. Not that it was written in error, but it had an error in it, and the second one was issued in November. And then we've got two letters from the Historical Society, you know, and in Massachusetts, not one. We have two. We have two letters inducting us into history by the Historical Society and two by the governor and lieutenant governor, both sealed by Judge Titus. And so there's also lie detector tests. There's an awful lot of things that have a seal on it that are in this uh, folder, which is in a safe, uh, because this is a form of history. Now, it's, it's a pioneering form of history. It's not for everybody. Um, but then again, we're not celebrating the Jack the Ripper, right? This is something that's also bringing some entertainment and fun to the community. But at the same time, it is a form of history. And right now, with, with SpaceX and, and Star, you know, the whole thing with Trump and everything that's going on, 
it's, it's a good time to introduce this, too, because there's no doubt that this happened. There's no doubt that people saw something. There's never been a question. And it is inducted into state. And it has to be respected for that. And so that's one of the things that the show kind of, I think, you know, Kevin was actually filmed for the show. He didn't get on it. Why they cut him out of it, I'll never know. Um, I do know they wanted to follow um, the path of the craft and speak to those people that saw its track. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to focus on that particular day, September 1st, 1969. But, they, you know, they didn't want to go, oh, you know, 50 years later it gets inducted. They kind of wanted to stick to that. But I still think that would have added and answered an awful lot of questions. I mean, a lot of it's circulating right now. But I, they might have missed the boat on that a little bit. They probably should have mentioned something to the effect of how important it was. Yeah. Now let me ask you. Let me ask you, uh, Tom, before we let you go here. What did you think of the uh, Unsolved Mysteries episode? Oh, I, I think it was. I think it was good. Um, I, I again, I think they some of the documents probably should have gone in there. It was the first time my mother has ever gone on record. Um, she did one radio show maybe ten years ago. She's never been on camera before. Um, for, to, for her to uh, do that, I think uh, I was proud of her for that. I mean, it's not easy to talk about something like that, but she nailed it. And, um, you know, of course, um, you know, there there was somebody in the program that I don't know if he added anything um, to it. You know, they're a um, little bit of grandstanding maybe, but I'm not going to say more than that. But, but um all in all, I think it was a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been working with Cindy Boyle, who was the segment producer since 2015. This was something that we had been talking about for five years. Yeah, and uh, of course, it was supposed to, you know, air on NBC, uh, and then for whatever reason, that kind of, um, you know, felt, you know, was put aside for Netflix, and it took a while for Netflix to, to pick up the episodes. I think Netflix wanted all 12 episodes already shot before they took it. Uh, or, uh, you know, bought it. Yeah. So it did take a little longer to, to come out than we thought it would. But then again, um, I think that also gave them more time to, to find other local witnesses. So um, all in all, I think it was a good show. I think it highlighted the the, show, the uh, episode fairly well. But again, I would have liked to see Kevin in it. I think he added an awful lot to the, the program. I think uh, he deserved to have been in it. Kevin, did, you, uh, did they contact you at all? Um, uh, the only thing they've done since they uh, put it on the air was they sent me a two-minute clip uh, of uh, of that of maybe in eight hours of filming that I was there. I filmed for eight hours, and they loved the filming. They wanted to use it all, but you see, my opinion on it is they left out the, the one of the most important parts, and that is the more important. People are wondering now, why wasn't the historical significance, you know, why was the judge Titus C. not taken out where he signed these documents? Everyone calls from these different places now are very interested about that historical significance, and everybody's been saying, why was it not shown in there? Yeah. And uh, that that is a little disturbing to me. They left out a lot of things, and there was a a, a member of the cast that, that I believe um, Tom mentioned that... Uh, uh, I think he really kind of uh, put what we call, um, I don't know, questionable um, a scene, and, and that yeah. bothered a lot of people. But I was very proud of the part I got to do it. I, okay. I just wish that they had you know, told it out okay. completely the way it should have been. Well, it's available on Netflix. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for sharing your story. Fascinating stuff. Uh, and uh, Kevin, thank you as well. Hey, can I mention one more thing? Really quickly, one last thing. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. quickly. Um, there, you, you remember uh, Tiger King had that show, um, Behavior Panel, that goes along and interviews people from Tiger King or whatever to see if they're lying or not, their yeah. behavior specialists. Yeah. 
They're actually working. They're actually doing our show right now. Oh, okay. So, um, it's actually on uh, YouTube. Yeah, so okay. you might get a kick out of that. All but right, you can check that so out. Much for okay, us. all right. There Thank you go. You. Uh, there you go. Tom Reed and uh, and uh, and Judge uh, Kevin uh, Titus. Uh, fascinating stuff. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Hey, after 1 o'clock, our good friend uh, Herb Weisbaum is going to join us. He's a consumer reporter, and he's the consumer man. You can check out consumerman.com. He joins us once a month to talk about all the latest consumer news and to answer any and all of your questions about consumer uh, stuff and uh, scams and things like that and money-related issues. He's here to help. Um, uh, Carson, uh, Johnny Carson, we always play some, uh, classic Carson clips. Um, and, uh, the Johnny Carson show, you can uh, watch it on Antenna TV every night. And, uh, we're going to play, this is a big one. We're going to play David Brenner's debut on the tonight show all the way back 1971. The first of 155 appearances on the tonight show. Widely considered to be. One of, if not the best debut for a comedian on in Tonight Show history. Is that right? I'm not yep. surprised. Yeah. Not surprised. I mean, David was one of his favorites. You know? Yep. No question about it. We're also going to talk about the most expensive foods in restaurants, most expensive foods in general, um, and uh, more. 312-981-7200 is the, uh, is the number if you would like to join us. It's the uh, Team Hawkberg phone line. So... Um, Famous people that you may have forgotten ran for that ran for office. Um, these are they're, they're, this is crazy. But what here's the thing though: rapper Kanye West is now eligible to be on Illinois' ballot in November. Cue the biggest eye roll in history. <laughs> is he just nuts? Is that is that is that the deal with Kanye West? Is, is he it, is he just nuts? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna try to be empathetic here. Um, I think he clearly has issues of a of a medical type. Um, there, there's just this guy is just off the rails. I think even his his wife, Kim Kardashian, and her, you know, hodgepodge of crazy family, um, even even don't know what to do with him. I mean, it's just it's unreal. Um, we're told he filed as an independent. Matt Dietrich. With the Illinois State Board of Elections says his team filed at 4:56 p.m. mere minutes before the deadline. A total of 412 pages of petition sheets were filed. At this moment in time, the Illinois State Board of Elections does not know exactly how many signatures were on those pages. Kanye would need a minimum of 2,500 registered Illinois voter signatures in order to be eligible to be on the ballot. He won't be eligible to appear on the ballot until his filing is certified by the board, and that won't happen until August 21st, 2020. Kanye, as well as other new party and independent candidates, will face a challenge period starting Tuesday until 5 p.m. Monday, the 27th of July. During this period, anyone who objects to anything that's been filed over the past week can file their objections. Dietrich says that typically the challenge happens over the signatures obtained by new and independent candidates. But he is eligible. 
Kanye. I might, I might just file. Why not? At this point, it's fair game, right? Why not? <laughs> I'm going to be running on a pro Steely Dan platform. All right, I'd vote for you. Going to bring Steely Dan to the masses? You got my vote. <laughs> you're going to have to bring Walter Becker back to life, though. You know, I, I could figure something out. Okay. I'm sure. Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. Me and uh me and uh Donald me and Fagan will get things get things going. Okay. Well, Kanye, you know, is wants to run for office. But a lot of famous people have run for office over the years. If you want to jump in, which ones do you remember? It's like celebrities who ran for office. 312-981-7200. So, um that's our number. We would love to hear from you. What celebrities do you remember who ran for office? Whether they were successful or not. I believe many were not. Some were, though. So. I, w- I would say a surprising number were. Yeah. Celebrities who ran for office, 312-981-7200. Call us with your thoughts. Um, over the years, it's become clear that politics isn't just for politicians. There's a long history of famous actors, athletes, and TV personalities attempting to enter the political arena. Uh, These are some of the most notable figures who have run for office or plan to in the future. Uh, We guarantee some of them will surprise you. Uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh, we all, you all remember this. In 1986, Clint Eastwood decided to try his luck in politics running for mayor of Carmel, California. The actor and director won 72.5% of the votes and served for two years. That's one of the more, that's one of the most famous mayor for, mayor of Carmel in the eighties for, for a couple of years. Clint Dwayne Johnson in an interview with people, Dwayne, the rock Johnson toyed with the possibility of running for president in 2020. If I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would say yes. Ultimately, he did file with the Federal Election Commission to set up a campaign committee, which means he would technically be able to take part in the 2020 election. But he's made, he's made no further indication that his uh, 2020 candidacy is still on. The Rock. President Rock. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, The Rock running for president. That would be insane. Uh, Here's Greg on WGN. Hey, Greg. Hey, how are you? All right. The one I remember that made me laugh the most, and I don't know if he ever had a shot or not, but I certainly would have voted for him, was there was a campaign for Steve Urkel from Family Matters. There was an Urkel for president campaign, (laughs) which also had, paraphernalia, and a breakfast cereal, Urkel O's, that went with it. (laughs) And you could buy Urkel O's, and you could get some sort of ballot that you could send off, I don't know, to Battle Creek, Michigan, or some faraway place where you could cast your vote for Steve Urkel from Family Matters. So so that it was was an actual campaign... For a a fictional character, because it wasn't even about... who, yeah, who, yeah. who plays Urkel? Jaleel White. Oh, Jaleel, Jaleel White. White. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But uh, all I remember is working in a grocery store and seeing rows and rows of Urkel O's with him <laughs> posing, looking very presidential. And I thought, you know what? I'd vote for Urkel. Yeah. I'd give him a shot. Sure. All so, right. <laughs> all right. All right, Greg. Bye. Thanks, man. What does he say when he hits the nuclear codes on accident? Mm, did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Urkel <Steve>. O's. <laughs> Oh, God, that must have been the worst-tasting cereal. That sounds terrible. Do they have images online? Look and see if you can find some, Urkel O's. Some Urkel O's. See if we can get a box of Urkel O's. Maybe there's some on, uh, there's some on eBay. Maybe they're auctioning off a couple of boxes of uh, Urkel O's <laughs> on eBay. We'll get the de- we'll, let's, let's take a break, and we'll get the download on that. And also, more famous people that ran for office. If you remember some very famous people that ran for office, 312-981-7200. It's Nick DiGilio on WGN. Now I'm not like this. I'm really kind of shy. But I get this feeling whenever Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4. Uh, And then after 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, the TV side of uh, WGN for some uh, early morning news. And then uh, Bob Surratt at 5, the legendary Bob Surratt at 5. 312-981-7200. We're talking about famous people that ran for office celebrities and athletes and things like that. Uh, if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Here's Mike. He's in Louisville on WGNA, Mike. Hey, Nick. Love your show. Thank you. Um, oh, the one person that comes to my mind is Fred Thompson. He was in one of the Die Hard movies, and uh, he, uh, I believe, ran for Senate and won. Yeah, Fred Dalton Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as while I was waiting for you, the other one that came to mind, I think Sonny Bono. Uh, he did ran for politics. He did. Yeah. Well, he yeah. actually held office, if I remember correctly. So yeah, yeah I think you're right. Well, listen, have a nice show. Take All right, care. thanks, Mike. How about Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City? Uh, she announced that she would be running for governor of New York in uh, 2018. New York is my home. I've never lived anywhere else. Uh, Nixon said in a campaign video, I was given the chances I just don't see for most New York's kids today. Our leader is letting us down. Despite her noble uh, political aspirations, Nixon lost to Andrew Cuomo. I remember that. Howard Stern. (laughs) Uh, Howard Stern. Radio host Howard Stern tried his luck in politics. Uh, back in 1994, when he announced that he'd be running against Mayor, uh, Mario Cuomo and George Pataki for uh, governor of New York. In the end, Stern withdrew from the race after declining to submit to the customary personal finance disclosure. And that was that. So he couldn't, uh, he wouldn't give up his finances. Oh, that was the stickler? Yeah. So that's why he, uh, that's why he, I remember, I, I do remember that. Uh, Roseanne Barr. In 2012, 
Comedian Roseanne Barr aimed to reach the highest political office in the country. That's right, the presidency. Her campaign promises were centered around marijuana legalization, environmental preservation, ending the wars overseas, and equal rights. Uh, Barr ended up placing sixth in the election. Why don't I even remember that? 2012. Man, they even made a... Pretty sure they made a movie about it, too. Made a movie about Roseanne Barr running for office? Yeah, it came out in 2015. It's called Roseanne for President. Get out of here. Dead serious. Wow. I think, though, if she became president, she'd legally have to make John Goodman her first husband (laughs) or whatever. She'd have to divorce whoever she was with and just Mm -hmm. be like, sorry, I got to have Dan by my side. Because you remember when, uh, no, you don't, you're too young, when she and what's-his-face, Tom. uh, Arnold? Yeah. They married? Yeah, man. Oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That must have been a real whirlwind. It was something, I can tell you that. What was the deal? Uh, They were a couple, and they were married, and then they got divorced. Well, you're making it seem like it was... It was it was crazy because they were on TV all over the place and they were weirdos. They were, you know. <laughs> what would they do? Like Well, they were just both on TV. But yeah, yeah, they were both like nuts. You know. Yeah, that was it was a time that when they they were all over the media. They they were like the big, you know, celebrity couple that the tabloids would follow, that cameras were everywhere. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They were they were huge. They were huge. Roseanne Barr and, and Tom Arnold. All right. How about Oscar De La Hoya? In September 2018, the legendary boxer said he was serious about running for president in 2020. It's real, he told the Los Angeles Times. It's the beauty of our country. If Arnold can be governor, if Trump can be president, then why can't a Mexican-American who won an Olympic gold medal, who's over 35 and a U.F. citizen, run for a presidency? Since De La Hoya hasn't made, uh, made it to any of the debates, it's safe to assume that his political aspirations have just changed. <laughs> Uh, here's Pete on WGN. Hi, Pete. Hey, Nick. How's it going? All right. Uh, I don't think he, he actually ran for anything, but there was a story a year or two ago that Kid Rock was going to run for a oh, Senate seat in that's Michigan. Right. That's right. Yes. That. Oh, yeah. That, yep. I remember that. I remember that. I don't think he made it past any other than just the, 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 the rumor phase. Yeah, I think it was a ploy to sell new albums, and if he would have won, he probably would have yelled out, let's get some lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Long-time listener, huh, Pete? Long-time listener. I can thank my wife for introducing me to your show 15 years ago, Uh, and uh, I love every moment. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Take care. Have a good one. There you go. That was a reference to uh, a story that Jeff Garland told on my show some years ago when Kid Rock was doing the seventh inning stretch. And uh, for some reason, Jeff Garland was up in the booth with him at Wrigley. And he and 
Jeff Garland told him to, to yell out, let's get some runs. And he yelled out, let's get some lunch. What really kills me is, oh, I thought it was like a Chicago thing. Yeah. And Peter Cetera had to duck out because he just Peter Cetera left. Gone. That was it. It's, <laughs> Peter Come Cetera. On, Cetera. <laughs> Get it together, man. <laughs> Jeff Garland, the lone man standing. Uh, that was so funny. It was so funny. Just out of nowhere, Jeff Garland calls my show. You know? He was in his car listening and he called because I was making fun of Chicago. And he apparently is a big fan of Chicago and we the band. And then we started talking about that, and that got into P- Peter Cetera, and that take that took us to the Kid Rock story. One of the funniest things, it's, <laughs> yeah, one of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life. I, I don't have any tattoos, Nick, but I honestly might consider getting. Let's get some lunch. Let's get some lunch somewhere. Let's get some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Mary on WGN. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hi. Uh, Jerry Springer was mayor of a town in Ohio. Yeah, he was mayor of Cincinnati. Uh, yes, I, I didn't remember the name, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was mayor of he was Jerry Springer was mayor of Cincinnati before he got yeah, into I mean, before he got into television. Right. Yeah. Then there was um, what was the American Idol uh, winner? So I forget his name. I think uh, he Clay was Aiken. for, I think, Senator or Representative. Clay, Clay Aiken? Clay Aiken? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay. He wasn't a winner. Yeah, I think in South Carolina. Clay Aiken, he, did, he didn't win. Clay no. Aiken. Yeah, no. No, and he, I, mean, I mean, he didn't win on American Idol. Oh, right. He, he came in, like, second or something. He, was, he came in second. Yeah, I think next to Ruben. Yeah, Ruben. Ruben was the, was the winner that year. Okay, thanks, Mary. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. He was also, uh, you know, in the amazing made-for-television film Sharknado 5, Global Swarming. Clay Aiken? Clay Aiken was, yeah. Everybody, are in, they, they, get, they get all kinds of B-level stars in those movies, in those Sharknado movies. <laughs> Tara Reid? Yeah, well, she's kind of like the, the go-to. She's in all the Sharknado movies, isn't she? And so and who's the dude from uh, What's-His-Face? Who's the, the main star of the Sharknado movies? Oh God! I'm. I couldn't tell you. I've watched like two of them, maybe. Oh, the guy. He's in. He was. Uh, he was on. I think he was on one of those. Uh, Be- Be- nine hundred two one zero, or he was on. Uh, Ian Ziering. Yeah. <laughs> he was. I think it was nine hundred two one zero or one. Yeah, of he those. was. He was on uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Yeah. From uh, he's in. He's years. in all the Sharknado movies. That's ridiculous. He's like the main star of all the Sharknado movies. Yeah, it's written by a man called Thunder Levin. Yeah, those sci-fi uh, movies are ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. You got to give them credit though for at least being imaginative. I, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, another celebrity here that ran for office, Ben Higgins. I don't know who that is. The Bachelor. Re- oh, that's why it's a Bachelor reality TV star. Planned to run for a seat in Colorado's House of Representatives back in 2016. However, the day after he filed his campaign paperwork, he backed out. Due to unforeseen circumstances, I will not be able to move forward as a candidate, Higgins said in an official statement. I find solace in knowing that our intentions and actions that have been fair and sincere. I entered into this endeavor wanting to bring positive change to my community, and it is with the same spirit that I will move forward, albeit on a different path. 
What? Yeah, I don't. The, the Bachelor, the Bachelorette. You know, I watch a lot of stupid reality TV, but I don't watch any of those. I can't. I, I don't know. I just can't get into them. But they're popular, man. The only time I ever watched them, my ex-wife uh, uh, liked to watch The Bachelor. I'd watch as much as I could, and then I'd go in the other room and watch watch something else on the other TV. <laughs> to decompress, to cleanse yourself? I, gotta get, I can't watch this. Hold on. I got to go watch two episodes of The Wire for every episode yeah. of Bachelor. <laughs> All right. More uh, famous people that ran for office. Can you remember some? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Famous people who ran for office. More coming up. After midnight, we're going to let it all hang down. After midnight, we're going to chuggle up and shout. All right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Coming up after one, our good friend, Herb Weisbaum, the consumer man. He's a consumer reporter who will answer any and all of your questions and help you out with money issues, scam issues, consumer uh, issues, and we've got a bunch of consumer news to discuss, too. It's always great when Herb is on. He's with us usually once a month. Well, actually once a month. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We've been talking about famous people who ran for office. Uh, and there's some really surprising ones uh, that I'm looking at in this article. So uh, here's Ike on WGN. Go ahead, Ike. Hey, Nick. How's it going with you, man? All right. I have two stories. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this because this is like the, the, the milestone you talk about. Celebrities running for president before Donald Trump. Of course, we have Ronald Reagan. No, he started out as an actor. Right. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then he, and then he became an icon in the eighties, just like Trump did. It's very, very, it's very, it's a crazy cycle with those two guys for yeah. sure. Yep. Yep. Okay. The second one, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I, you can tell he was joking about this because this is around the time that. Uh, Jesse Ventura was running for governor. So I remember Hulk Hogan. He he uh, made some uh, he made some announcement on WCW that he was running for governor of something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That his, his slogan would have been Hogan is running wild in USA, brother. Yep. All right, Ike. Thanks. No problem. Yeah. That was a storyline on WCW. It wasn't real. But Jesse Ventura did win. Jesse the body Ventura. Jesse the Jesse the mind. The mind. That's what he became. Well, it just blows my mind that two actors from the John McTiernan 1986 yeah. classic Predator. Predator wound up running for office. And, and won. Exactly. They both became governors. And every time someone mentions Ronald Reagan, I just hear this. Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You got to go to the... You got to go to the... You keep going. Because the Jerry Lewis line is next. <laughs> Then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey! Did you know that Bob on Bob's Burgers plays the banjo? <laughs> He's playing the banjo right now. 
Okay, Shirley Temple. Despite her child star roots, Shirley Temple devoted a significant part of her life to political activism and public service. In 1967, she ran for a seat in Congress during the Republican primary, but lost to Pete McCloskey. Later, she became the U.S. ambassador of Ghana and Czechoslovakia. Quite a life, Shirley Temple. Do you remember seeing those Time Life commercials all the time for, like, the Shirley Temple collection or something like that? Of her movies? Yeah. I used to, it, you see it stuck in my head. They'd show the Time Life commercial, you get the full Shirley yeah. Temple, you know, digitally remastered or something yeah. like well, that. Well, those Time Life commercials are, are, you know, you can't get them out of your brain. And they're, they were they 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 were on all the time. Time right. Life commercials were on all the time. Who was the band that did the one with the giant pitcher of lemonade? Uh, Air Supply. Air Supply. With the giant pitcher of lemonade sitting on the on the glass table. There's no way those two guys are going to drink that whole pitcher. And um, was, I want to say it was for it was like it was like for soft rock, like it was the Time Life collection for soft rock. If I remember, yeah, that infomercial we would watch that we would watch that uh, at Simon's after hours. We would just sit and, and watch that and just laugh our asses off. It mostly, at, first of all, at, the, at all the songs, and secondly, the pitcher of lemonade, the giant pitcher of lemonade. It was air supply, right? Yeah. Dinner or relaxing in your backyard <laughs> on a lazy afternoon. It's music that just makes you feel good. What's the name of the collection? It's, it's uh, the soft rock collection. It is soft rock. Okay. Yeah. I mean, basically, you'd, you might consider this. Uh, might consider this kind of yacht rocky. It is. Yeah. It is. Because, I mean, you got your Rupert Holmes in there. Of course, Air Supply. <laughs> With their giant pitcher of lemonade. I like to imagine that every time they recorded a song, it was maybe on their rider for whenever they booked a studio or if they were on tour. They, they like, wanted a giant glass pitcher of lemonade? Yeah. If Air Supply doesn't get the I couldn't glass pitcher of lemonade, they don't go on. Was that supposed to be Australian? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just coming out of me. Crikey. Uh, all right, Will Smith. During an interview uh, on the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast in 2015, actor Will Smith discussed the possibility of running for office. As I look at the political landscape, I think there might be a future out there for me, Will Smith said. They might need me out there. This is the first year that I've been incensed to the level where I can't sleep, you know, so I'm feeling that at some point in the near future, I will have to lend my voice to the conversation in a somewhat different way. Uh, since then, Smith has downplayed his political intentions, and it's unclear if he still plans to forge a political path later down the line. The aforementioned Clay Aiken is here. Clay Aiken first rose to fame on season two of American Idol. In 2014, the singer ran for Congress as a Democratic representative in the 2nd Congressional District of North Carolina. Although he did not win the election, he continued his political activism since. Sonny Bono, Cher's former husband and performing partner, was inspired to get into politics after encountering a gover uh, some governmental red tape involving his home and Italian restaurant. Reported uh, time in 1988, Bono became uh, Bono became Bono. <laughs> Bono 
became the mayor of Palm Springs in 1994, and he went on to serve in Congress. Stacy Dash. Clueless star Stacy Dash stirred up controversy when she announced her candidacy to represent California's 44th Congressional District. However, she withdrew a month later. At this point, I believe that the overall bitterness surrounding our political process, participating in the rigors of campaigning, and holding elected office would be detrimental to the health and well-being of my family, Dash said in a statement to CNN. I would never want to betray the personal and spiritual principles I believe in most, and that my God and my family come first. God, I used to have a massive crush on Stacy Dash. Stacy Dash. Oh man. John Davis Lodge. John Davis Lodge reached the peak of his acting career in the 30s after he starred in blockbusters like Little Women and the Scarlet Empress. In 1947, Lodge was elected to serve on the House of Representatives. The actor went on to become the governor of Connecticut in 1951. Oh. Sean Duffy. Uh, Sean Duffy. Who the hell is Sean Duffy? Sean Duffy entered the public eye as a reality TV contestant on The Real World on MTV. He became the district attorney of Ashland County, Wisconsin in 2002 and is currently a representative of Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District. I don't remember Sean Duffy. He was on the Real World Boston. Oh, he's on. Bo- oh, he was on Boston. He's in Boston. Okay, that was his claim to fame. I don't remember. I the, only, the one thing I remember about Boston was that one girl got Lyme disease. She went a little nutty and she had to leave. And a guy, one of her, one of the roommates, threw her her uh, stuffed animal into the into the into the into the lake or the river or whatever it was. And then slapped her in the face when she was in the cab leaving. Because she had Lyme disease? She had Lyme disease. She, yes, that was the season where... So he where slapped the, her? Well, they weren't getting along. I mean, you might make an exception. He, Poor girl's well, first of all, he, disease. First of all, he took her stuffed animal, because they, yes. they were on a... They, they, the house was on a pier. So he took the took the took uh, took her, her like favorite uh, stuffed animal, threw it into the water as one form of like insult when she was leaving and then he went over to the car and he slapped her in the face and then the re- and then he had to go to like anger management or something and the rest of the 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 rest of the cast um was asked if they wanted they wanted him to leave and they what and then they watched the footage of him slapping her that was uh that was seattle oh it was seattle it was seattle so right after that okay a, irene got the lyme disease yeah she had Lyme. That was Seattle. Okay, I'm getting. I, I get all of them mixed up at this point. They're all more or less the same. the The best one was San Francisco, with Puck and Pedro. That was the best one. That was the best season. You know, the girl who got Lyme disease, Irene McGee. That was her name. She actually wrote a piece in 2013 explaining her early departure from the show called "Slaps, Lies, and Videotape." <laughs> there it is, man. <laughs> Uh, all right, more uh, famous people that ran for office. Bill Bradley. I thought I was thinking, Bill Brasky. <laughs> he showers in vodka. <laughs> feeds his kids shrimp scampi. <laughs> After wrapping up his career as a professional basketball player for the New York Knicks in 1977, Bill Bradley 
uh, became a New Jersey senator in 1978. He held the position for a total of 18 years after announcing that he would run for president in 1999. Al Gore ultimately won the Democratic nomination over him. It's quite a career. Yeah, no, no, no. He had, he had a, a terrific p- political Long career. There. Yeah. She looked cool. Made a name for herself as a child star on the many loves of Dobie Gillis in the early 60s. Almost 30 years later, she made history in 1994 as the first openly gay politician elected to serve in the California State Legislature. She served 14 years in both California State Senate and Assembly. All right. Famous people ran for office. 312-981-7200. Let's hear from you here on WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Coming up after the 1 o'clock news, our good friend Herb Weisbaum, the consumer man, is going to join us. We're going to talk about consumer news, and he will answer any and all of your concerns about uh, money and scams and consumer issues. 312-981-7200 is the phone number, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Talking about uh, famous people who ran for office. Some are surprising, some we forgot about, and some were very successful. Here is Scott on WGN. Hi, Scott. Hey, uh, Ben Jones from Dukes of Hazards, Crazy Cooter, was a member of the Congress from Georgia. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. And he lost against Newt Gingrich in his re-election bid. Oh, wow. All right. That's interesting. Didn't know that. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Steve on WGN. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nick. Uh, Joe Walsh in 83, uh, he ran for, he announced his uh, presidency for 1984. He'd even have a tour shirts and everything on his There Goes the Neighborhood tour. Joe Walsh from the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Joe Walsh from James Gang, Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. He ran yeah, for he president. actually got right-in votes. <laughs> he did. Okay. All right, Steve, thanks. Yep. Joe Walsh for president. How about that? <laughs> um, Al Franken. We all know Al Franken. Writer-director Al Franken started his career in the entertainment industry on Saturday Night Live in 1975. Almost 20 years and five Emmys later, he decided to transition into politics. The staunch Democrat was elected senator of Minnesota in 2009 and served until 2018. Wyclef Jean. Uh, entertainer Wyclef Jean announced that he would be running for the Haitian presidency shortly after the 2010 earthquake devastated the country. However, his lofty aspirations were cut short after Haiti's electoral council denied his bid. No official reason was given, but Jean believes... It was because he didn't meet the five-year residency requirement. While the singer wasn't happy about the disqualification, he urged his supporters to accept the situation. We must all honor the memories of those we've lost, whether it was the earthquake or at any time. Um, Respond peacefully and responsibly to this disappointment. 
Wyclef Jean was in uh, Fuji's. Fuji's, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's Phil on WGN. Hi, Phil. Hi, Dick. Uh, I got three of them. Uh, Charles Barkley, he, he planned to run for governor of uh, Alabama. Uh, I don't know how far he got. Uh, Lula Bell of Lula Bell and Scotty of the National Barn Dance uh, served in the uh, House in one of the Carolinas. And the name I can't remember from the Love Boat, he was in the Fred Grandy. House. Fred Grandy. Yeah, in, I think, Iowa. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's in this article, too. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was an Iowa representative. All right. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. All right. Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah. Jesse Ventura made a quite a career shift when he uh, went from the WWE as a professional wrestler to politician. His first stint in politics started in 1991 when he became mayor of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. But Ventura didn't stop there. In 1999, he was elected governor of Minnesota as a member of the Reform Party, and he served until 2003. You know, I've actually got some audio of him uh, making a speech at one of his rallies. Let's take a listen. Oh, he'll test my strength, but the body will prevail. Mean Gene, let's talk about other stuff. I'll get to this arm wrestling. I'll get to what Hulk Hogan wants to do with the body. And that is break arms with the strongest arm in oh, wrestling. My, how you carry the out. man is going to get embarrassed. But first, I want to say this. <laughs> you know, very close by here in St. Paul, Minnesota, a few weeks back, the Rolling Stones were in town. They were. Good friends of mine. And let me tell you, Mean Gene, and all you people out there, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Ron Wood called up the body and says, Body, we need you to bodyguard us. We need you to announce us. So that's what I did. I was the announcer and the head bodyguard for the Rolling Stones. You, you gotta love Mean Gene Okerlund, man. <laughs> you gotta love Mean Gene. <laughs> Very strong platform he's running on. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, Jesse Jesse the Body Ventura was a was a great wrestler and fantastic on the mic, and and he would go on to be a color announcer. At wrestling, and he was hilarious. He was absolutely, and of course, he dressed like a lunatic. That's what he does best. Yeah, I believe you're right. One of my favorite quotes was, uh, "I can't remember who was wrestling. They're calling the match, and uh, and I can't remember who the announcer was at that time." Uh, he goes, um, "I, be- uh, uh, he's unconscious." Like he the the guy in the the guy in the ring got slammed and then he was like he's unconscious and then Jesse the Body Ventura goes I believe you're right I believe he is unconscious. <laughs> uh, more famous people who ran for office: Steven Seagal. In August 2018, movie star Steven Seagal was appointed to serve as a special representative for Russia, Russian-U.S. humanitarian ties by the Russian Foreign Ministry. The dual citizenship holder uh, told RT, according to Reuters, I've always had very strong desire to do all I can to improve Russian and American relations. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think he was that much of a fan of politicians, uh, If you based on his movies. I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator Trent. To the blood bank. 
<laughs> what the hell? What was that from? What movie was that from? <laughs> Hard to Kill. That was from Hard to Kill? Yeah. I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator Trent. The blood bank. <laughs> you know he continues to make movies? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's someone on my new on my on my friend news feed there on Facebook who apparently watches a Steven Seagal movie every every other day and posts them and I don't even know what the hell they are. I'm looking at them I'm like I never your friend needs to go see a professional. That's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. I remember I uh, liking the first one above the law. I remember liking above the law yeah, above a lot. The law, um the the What's one the on the boat, yeah, the one on the boat. What's that one? Under siege. Under siege. Yeah, but you know why? Because Andy, because Andy Davis directed both of those. Yeah, and plus, uh, Under Siege has uh, Tommy Lee Jones is like a Busey. Weird... Yeah, Busey's. I saw it? I saw that movie sitting next to Gary Busey. I saw Under Siege sitting next to Gary Busey, getting like a DVD commentary before there were. <laughs> Tommy Lee and I, we uh, improvised this whole scene. He comes out in drag at one point. That was my idea. <laughs> Sitting in the Esquire Theater next to Gary Busey, watching Under Siege. I like that he just took took the time to give you all the insight. And that was the first time you were watching it, right? Yeah. No, it was so a, it was it was, a, it was, a pre- it was a preview. Screen. It was a preview. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of letting you watch the movie, no, Gary that's Busey's the thing. Like, I had to go see it again because it was just <laughs> Gary Busey talking in my <laughs> talking into my ear for the entire movie. That was my week with Gary Busey. And I told him, you know, they're screening Under Siege tomorrow. And it's a press screening at the Esquire Theater right down the street from where you're standing. You're standing at the Westin across the street from the Hancock. And so I was like, you know, they're, they're screening it tomorrow. I was like, they are? I said, yeah. He goes, well, uh, you think I can get in? I said, you're in the movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can get in. You're in the movie. All right. Sat next to Gary Busey during the screening. Uh, Fred Thompson, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. Melissa Gilbert? Little House on the Prairie star Melissa Gilbert aspired to become a representative of the 8th Congressional District in Michigan in 2015. The Democrat eventually dropped out of the race due to injuries sustained during an accident in 2012. While I have received the best treatment and therapy I could have asked for, those injuries have only gotten worse, Gilbert said in a statement issued by her campaign. As much as it uh, breaks my heart to say this, my doctors told me I am physically unable to continue my run for Congress. Jerry Springer, which we talked about already. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, classic. Shaquille O'Neal. Former NBA star Shaquille O'Neal has said that in uh, 2020 he will be running for sheriff, but yet to reveal where. Sheriff Shaquille O'Neal? That's a reality show waiting to happen right there. We've already got Gary Busey pet judge. (laughs) Why not Sheriff Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal? Oh, Here's Rich on WGN. Hey, Rich. Hey, what 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 era did you uh, uh, come come in contact with Gary Busey? Because we ran into him at uh, River Shannon in about nineteen ninety seven ninety eight. 
This was 1992. He was in town filming uh, that stupid movie where the kid breaks his arm and he throws fast on the Cubs. It could have been 92. It, it was 92, 92, and that's when that's when Under Siege came out, 1992. We saw him at River Shannon late late at night, and uh, we didn't uh, you know we didn't really talk because you know he was well on his way in in into the early hours. Yeah, so, yeah, you know what I mean. I know, yeah. I know what you mean, Rich. I was with him. I hung out with him for a week, my friend. So I I, I know. All right, Rich. Thanks, man. You got it. Yeah, yeah. It was when he was in town. Rookie of the Year was the name of the movie. And if you ever watched that stupid movie, which I don't recommend you do, he's that's a fake mustache he's wearing. He did not have a mustache. <laughs> All lies. Uh, Kid Rock uh, for Senate. Nancy Culp from uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. She ran for uh, Pennsylvania's 9th Congressional District. So... Lots of uh, famous people who ran for office. And some very successful ones, too. So, all right. Hey, you know who Herb Weisbaum is, Tom? I've heard the legends. He is the Consumer Man. And you can check out ConsumerMan.com. He joins us once a month uh, to talk about consumer news and to answer any and all of your questions uh, about consumer issues and uh, help you uh, 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 with scams and stuff. That's another thing that he does. Uh, helps us out uh, to, to keep away from all of those uh, financial scams and things like that. Uh, one of our favorite guests. He's a regular on the show, and uh, he is joining us this morning um, after the news. If you have any consumer-related uh, questions or comments or issues, 312-981-7200. Uh, give us a call, 312-981-7200. Herb uh, Weisbaum. You can check out ConsumerMan.com, and uh, we'll jump into all the consumer-related uh, topics uh, right after the news. 312-981-7200, and Herb will join us after the news, which is now. Jillio here on 720 WGN. Hi. We are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here until 4 o'clock. Um, uh, coming up, uh, Johnny Carson Comedy Classics. You know, you can watch the Johnny Carson Show on Antenna TV every night. And uh, we always play some uh, clips and uh, sketches or some stand-up or some interviews. Uh, we're going to go back to 1971 for David Brenner's actual uh, first d- debut, his first appearance on The Tonight Show. His first of 155 appearances, and I'm not exaggerating. So uh, we're going to go back uh, to that. We're going to talk about some of uh, the most expensive foods of all time. And, um, yeah, and 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you want to join us. So you heard the song. You heard the song, For the Love of Money. Uh, and that means our good friend Herb Weisbaum is going to join us. He's the Consumer Man. You can check out ConsumerMan.com. He's one of our favorite guests, friend of the show, consumer reporter at KOMO and at Checkbook.org. And we always have Herb on. If you have any consumer-related questions or concerns, 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200.
And here's Herb. Hi, Herb. Hi, Nick. How you doing? I'm all right, buddy. How are you? Doing very well. We're in the middle of a heat wave here in Seattle where we hit about 85 degrees today, so we're all melting. That's hot for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got we got a we got a we got a heat wave coming in over the weekend, but we get much hotter here in Chicago. Yeah, but we're wimps, so see, it's, it's all relative. So yeah. you know, I grew up in LA, so I know what hot is. But this here, it's like you know, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah, I bet, I bet. <laughs> so uh, how you been holding up during all this craziness? We're doing fine. Things have settled down in the, in the city a bit, um, and uh, the weather has turned nice. The key is now is to keep uh, all the young people from being crazy and going out to the beaches and doing all that kind of stuff that is very dangerous. And uh, working real hard and made a couple of TV appearances lately for the things I've been doing, which is funny because I haven't had a haircut since February. Yeah. <laughs> so I comb all my hair back and put it down with hairspray and then scream for my wife, Deb, cut the curls off before I go on the air. <laughs> Well, the things you do, the things you got to do nowadays. Hey, uh, I've been told to ask you about Herbie the Pig. Oh, did you see Herbie? Did, did Thomas have you take a look at him on my Facebook page? Uh, uh, no, I didn't. Did I see him? Well, he's on uh, Facebook.com slash Consumer Man. Uh, I had the honor uh, of having a pig named after me, a potbelly pig. <laughs> at uh, I'm on the I'm vice chair of the board of Posados. It's a fabulous organization uh of the Northwest Leading Rescue and uh, Animal Sanctuary. We have farm animals, dogs and cats. We have an investigator. We just broke up a huge puppy mill, um, rescued a whole bunch of animals. They were in deplorable condition. But we also uh, take care of farm animals who need a home. And they decided this mama, a Penny, had a, a, I don't know, is it a litter of pigs? Some one of your members will tell me what it is. It's not a litter. It's a something. What is it? What do you call a bunch of pigs? Is it a litter? I don't know. Uh, Thomas, please, you got to Google there. Anyway... It's got probably a good name, you know, and uh, like a horde or something. (laughs) I should know this on the board of an animal sanctuary. Anyway, and they decided to name the one uh, pig that was a little different than the others, special, they said, uh, Herbie. So I went up uh, over the weekend to see him before he was being adopted for his forever home. uh, And um, had no idea, they told me that to do this, I had no idea that if you rub a potbelly pig, I guess all pigs, on their stomach like a dog underneath their stomach, um, they roll over just like a dog. And this guy rolled over and was asleep within 10 seconds. It was, the, it was just the cutest thing in the world. Oh, so. wow. So we're, we've got some, some information here. Uh, what we, what we, on my page. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, so something for your listeners. I mean, I know we're a Northwest organization, but we've been trying to do stuff to help people with dealing with the COVID. And, you know, animals are a real good calming agent and, and really good way to de-stress. Yeah. And if you go to our website, uh, it's posados.org, P-A-S-A-D-O-S, named after a donkey that actually lived at a park a mile down the street from where I live that was tortured to death by a bunch of teenagers at night. Oh. Uh, at the next day, and there were no laws in the books in Washington to make it a crime, a felony, animal abuse. Uh, they were so they were only prosecuted for misdemeanor being in a park after dark. And now, uh, thanks to Posados, there is a, a bill on the books. It's a, it's animal abuse is a, a felony. But anyway, we have a thing called Compassion RX. That every week we send you out a newsletter with good news. It's kitten pictures and pictures of goats and the pigs running around and all that kind of stuff. And then we also have a pen pal program, which is really good. Uh, actually, was written up in People Magazine a couple of weeks ago, where your kid can write. In and one of the animals at Posada will write back, send a picture of themselves, and send a note to your kid, and they can become a pen pal uh, with with uh, one of the animals. There are oh. also videos which uh, teach the kids; they're, they're done at a kids level about the different animals who are on the sanctuary. And I learned, and I never had any idea of this. Do you know part of the reason why um, uh, goats have the horns? I mean, besides the fence and all that kind of stuff, what what it has to do with the health of a goat? No, it helps regulate their uh, body temperature. It does. 
Somehow it's used for that with the body temperature regulation, and so that's one of the things I learned by watching these videos. So it's it's really cool stuff. There's something wherever you live in the country, anywhere in Chicagoland or wherever the blowtorch of WGN is going right now throughout all the 38 states in Canada, there's something there for everybody. So sign up. It's free. Uh, we also have vegan men. We're a vegan organization. We have vegan menus, vegan recipes, virtual vegan cooking. Lots for everybody to take a, a look at if you want to just join. Posados, P-A-S-A-D-O-S dot org. Okay, there you go. By the way, we just we found out that a group of young pigs is called a litter. Okay. A group of hogs is called a passel or a team, and a group of adult pigs is a drift or a drove. <laughs> all right, it's amazing what you can find out by googling something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, now we yeah. now we sound all smart, right, Herb? That a group of teens drinking is trouble. Right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. There's no no question about it. Okay, Herb, hang on, all right? You got it, Nick. All right, Herb Weisbaum is with us. He joins us once a month to talk all things uh, consumer-related. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, consumer stuff, uh, if you're concerned about a scam or something like that, Herb is here to help. 312-981-7200. You can call the Team Hockberg phone line. 312-981-7200. Nick DiGilio on WGN. Let me tell you how it will be. All right. Hey, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Herb Weisbaum is with us, consumerman.com. He uh, always joins us uh, once a month to talk about consumer issues and to answer any and all of your questions consumer-related. 312-981-7200. Hello, Herb. Nick, always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. We have someone on the line here. It's John on WGN. Go ahead, John. Hi, Mr. Weisbaum. Um, hey, Nick, great show. I uh, have a question for you, sir. I uh, just recently purchased a condo, and um, one of the things I've been worried about that I've been hearing about for years prior to purchasing a home was that there's identity theft going on through the title of your home. Is that real? Um, I hear of a company called Title Lock. Um, I'm just wondering where am I with that? Is it is it something that I should be concerned about? There is a fraud going on called title title theft, where, where criminals are able to take over the title of your home, and they can and they've sold homes out from underneath people. Uh, at this point, it's a, while it's a very very serious problem. Uh, it is if it happens to you, it is not thankfully, as far as we can tell, a very widespread program at the problem at this point in time. Um, I have that on my list of stories to be investigating in the near future and hope to have it done in the next couple of months. Hopefully, if the COVID settles down a little bit and I get a little bit more work done, I do not know anything about the company except I've heard of the company, but I have no indications of what they're able to do for you or, or not, so I can't recommend that. Um, but yes, you're right. It is a very, very serious problem. And when I finally do do the story, and you'll hear it on Nick's show, uh, hopefully in a couple of months from now, um, I will hopefully be able to find out some ways that people can do things to protect themselves, because that's the thing I want to know is what you can actually do in order to uh, to protect yourself. At this point in time, if you're interested, I guess you could check them out with the Better Business Bureau and see what kind of rating they have uh, and see how much money is involved. 
Um, but that's what all I, I can't tell you anything about that company. But yes, I can tell you about this is a very, very serious problem that somebody's got to figure out a way to put it, to get a handle on this. Because if it happens to you and your house is sold from out from under you, it's a devast- devastating situation. So, okay. So. All right, John. Thank you, sir. Okay. Take care. Uh, and Nick, once we do that story, I will make sure we do it for you because it's. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what we can do to protect people, and that's what I got to sort of find out here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's jump into um, uh, some of the stories that uh, that we're going to talk about here this morning. And uh, is a new report that warns of bad actors in the interstate moving industry. There's a nightmare moving horror story here going on. Yeah, this was a big white paper that was done by the Better Business Bureau out of your area of the country, and they looked at the problems with moving uh, and found that, uh, on average, the Better Business Bureau receives about 13,000 complaints and negative reviews about movers every single year, and more than 1,300 moving companies have an F rating because of unresolved and unanswered complaints. But this report looked at more than just simply having a problem with a bad mover. We're talking about movers here in many cases that are scammers from the word go. There are gangs that are setting up these bogus uh, companies that supposedly set you up with a mover. They put really good ads on the web. They uh, have great customer service when you call them to begin with, uh, and they want to set you up with a mover in your area. And, you know, the point of the story is that this is a really big deal. I mean, you're putting your whole life packing on a truck and hoping that they will get it there in one piece for the price you uh, agreed to at the time you, you need to have it there. And what these gangs are doing is, so you, you hook up with them. In many cases, they don't even come out and do a face-to-face estimate of your of your property. They just sort of like tell us what you have or walk around the room and, and sort of show us what you have, and then we'll make an estimate of what it is. The truck shows up. You, 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 they show up. The truck shows up. In some cases, they want a huge deposit, which most good moving companies, if they want any deposit at all, is not going to want a big deposit. Uh, they always want it in cash. Uh, the one victim we spoke to, and I'll talk to a little bit more uh, in a minute, uh, he's from your area, um, the truck showed up was an unmarked car, like they had an unmarked truck. They had rented a truck. That's always not a good sign mm. when you move over and it shows up in, like, you know, enterprise rental car truck or something like that, or U-Haul truck. You want to be a moving company. Um, and then uh, what they do is they load the whole truck up, and then they say, you know, this is really more than we had estimated, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to just charge you more. And then you argue with them, maybe you'll pay more, maybe you don't. And then sometimes they also do it or do it at the end of the line. So there you are at your new place. This guy was moving from uh, Canton, Ohio to uh, Chicago. And, uh, hi, uh, you know, we, we, we need to charge you more because it just didn't work out the way we wanted it to do. And they hold your stuff hostage. Mm-hmm. I mean, your stuff's all stuck. And they say to you, do you want to pay for it, or do you want us to put it in storage somewhere and good luck ever getting it again, or whatever they may threaten to do. Uh, and, and if your stuff even arrives in one piece, because these guys, the bad guys, don't really care how they handle your stuff, and sometimes it, it shows up broken. So it's a really, really serious problem. People are losing thousands of dollars uh, to this thing. Um, do we have uh, time for me to just show you this story? Oh, this, yeah, this absolutely. Go ahead. So the guy's name is Eli Lemonster, and he was moving from Ohio to good old Chicago land last year. He'd never made an interstate move before, and that's where this biggest problem is with interstate moves. And um, so he did what I guess most people do. He went online and found a company through a moving referral website. looked really nice. They were really nice on the phone. He hadn't heard of moving fraud. He described all the items to them and was quoted a price of $1,670, which sounded really good. And they asked for a $200 deposit, cash, basically uh, through Zelle, you know, the app that's used with the bank. Right. Which is not how you use that app to pay somebody you don't know. These things are to transfer money to somebody you have lunch with or a friend or something like that. But they got him to transfer the money. And then they loaded up the truck. 
and then uh, it showed up in an unmarked rental truck, and everything was loaded up to the truck, and they said, well, the price is now going to be $5,980, triple the original price quote, and they demanded cash on the spot. What? And Yeah, it was, that was unbelievable. And here's the quote that Eli gave me, and he said to me, quote, I was totally blindsided by this. I couldn't believe it. My entire life was in this truck. My house was empty, and they're telling me I owe them an additional $4,300. Very few times in my life have I been shocked, and I was in shock. That's unbelievable. That is un- it's unbelievable. It is, and not uncommon. Not uncommon with these gangsters. I mean, it really isn't. And uh, so after some heated haggling, the driver agreed to hit the road for an additional $1,200 in cash. Eli said, it's all the money I have on me. And when the truck arrived there in Chicago... They called and told them the truck would be there. The truck showed up late, and then they said, well, we're not going to give you the stuff unless you pay even more. And as he said, quote, it was basically a hostage situation with my stuff, and the only way to get it was to pay a ransom. He said he felt like he was being robbed, so he didn't see any other option at that point in time, and he gave the movers another $3,300 in cash. So do the math. I hope Thomas has a cash register sound effect. But the move was supposed to cost him $1,670, and the bottom line was four thousand nine hundred dollars that's unbelievable that is really unbelievable so the whole key to this story you can find a lot more in tips on my website consumerman.com i have the checkbook story there is you have got to make sure you are dealing with a reputable company you have got to get at least three estimates before you move your stuff you have to check the company out with somebody like the Better Business Bureau or there are other associations that you can check them out with to make sure they're a legitimate organization. The other thing is because of COVID now, I found out in researching the story, you know, some people don't really want a moving company, an estimator to come into their house right. to, to out and do things. Well, the legitimate moving companies have actually figured out a way to deal with that. They have a thing where you can like walk around with a camera, FaceTime or something like that. You can actually show them everything you have and their software is able to translate that into 3D stuff and then figure out the weight so they can give you a, an estimate of, of what the value of your stuff is. That's a legitimate company. The con artists, what they do, all moves basically are done they can wait. Uh, have you ever moved in a, with a moving truck and they weigh it? Because I did when I moved out to Seattle. I, have you ever done that? Yeah, no. I've, uh, I've, I've always had friends help me move. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad's house, you just put the, you know, put the stuff in a van. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, when I moved out here from Syracuse, uh, they bring the truck. And they they have come from the weigh station, and the truck is weighed, and they show you a document from the, the tear weight of what the truck is. And then they load all the stuff up, right. and then go to the they go to the weigh station again, and they weigh the thing, and that's how much your goods are. It's just like if you go to a uh, like a, a landfill or a dump site or something, they weigh your truck, and then they weigh it afterwards, and they how much you had on the truck. The con artists try to do it in volume because you can't figure out what in the world that is. So if somebody's telling you we're going to do this thing in volume, and that's what they told poor Eli here, well, you know, the volume is bigger than what we thought it was going to be. That's not how movers do it. Movers do it with weight. So, again, if somebody's trying to estimate your thing with a volume situation, run away as fast as you possibly can because you're not dealing with a legitimate mover. Yeah. Uh, and then, it, you know, the two ways to deal with your estimate is you want a binding estimate, which you may pay a little bit more, but that means you're locked in, or are you willing to take a chance that something else could be added on for whatever reason? So that's, again, a whole other decision we talk about in the story. But these guys, Nick, are really, really bad news, and they're just really 
Um, they're just robbing people. And again, it's, it's organized crime. It is not just bad movers. Anybody can hit a bad company, that, and maybe you can deal with them. These are organized criminals who, from the word go, they're the same kind of group that goes around and does bogus locksmith things. You're, you're stuck. You're locked out of your car. You see things as locksmith. You call, and they say it's going to be uh, twenty nine ninety five or $100, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden the guy wants $2,000. Um, it's the same kind of organized crime that is doing that is also doing these moving scams all across the country. Wow. Crazy story. And it's all on your, uh, it's all on the website. Homepage, consumerman.com. Homepage of consumerman.com and uh, all the information you need and, uh, and with advice on how to protect yourself from, uh, from these scams. Yeah, and a lot of links of how you can check out movers if you're going to make a move and how to file a complaint. A lot of resources. It's a really it's one of the longer article they've written, but a lot of stuff in there for you. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff in here. So, uh, all right, you can go to uh, you can go to uh, consumerman.com right on the right on the on the page right there, uh, and, and uh, avoid. Uh, but that's really that's just really awful. I mean, holding holding your your possessions hostage. I mean, it's and just, I've it's awful. Over the Nick, who have never gotten it back. I mean, they just ran off with the stuff. <laughs> your life's is- these guys ran away with it. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And there's not a lot of federal help anymore. The feds don't really regulate this as they used to, unless they can get a big pattern of complaints and go after the people. So a lot of it's you're on your own. You've really got to do all the homework up front to make sure you check on, on the person you're using. Okay. Be safe. All right. Uh, hang on. Okay, Herb. Okay, Nick. All right. Herb Weisbaum is with us. Always helpful. If you have a question uh, or a concern, if you have a, a consumer-related issue or you've got a question about a possible scam, uh, Herb is here to help out, uh, as he is every month. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More with uh, Herb Weissbaum coming up here on WGN. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day. All right. Nick uh, DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4 a.m. Uh, and then after 4, we head over to Bradley Place and uh, the TV side of WGN. Get some early morning news from those great people. And then the legendary Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock has your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is uh, the phone number if you'd like to join us. Herb Weisbaum is my guest. He is the Consumer Man. Check out ConsumerMan.com. He joins us once a month to help you out with your consumer issues. If you have any questions or concerns, 312-981-7200. We talk about the latest in consumer news as well. Uh, Hello, Herb. We're back. Hello, Nick. Hi. All right. We have another uh, caller here with a question. Here's Robert on WGN. Go ahead, Robert. Morning, Nick. Morning, Herb. Um, I have people who call me constantly because I used to sell timeshare. Now they want to get out of it. And every time you turn on the television or the radio, there's 25 different people who say they can get you out of your timeshare. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? Yes. In most cases, uh, they're scams uh, or you're not yeah. going to wind up doing well. Um, if you actually go to checkbook.org, uh, one of my colleagues actually wrote a huge story on timeshare companies. Some of these are now being sued by attorney generals across the country. Some of them are being sued uh, by individuals because uh, people paid the money up front. That's the problem I have with them. You pay up front, uh, and then they never get service and they'll never return the money. There is a little marketplace now where you can actually sell them through like a real estate company that works in, like I know I have a timeshare in Hawaii and there's a company there that specializes in selling those things. Uh, of course, you know, you pay if the, if the timeshare gets sold. 
um, and some of the uh, and some of the uh, big uh, companies because the timeshares a lot of the big ones are now being run by the hotel corporations and they've set up programs where they can take them off people's hands and then they turn them back into new inventory and sell them for a whole lot more. But the timeshare relief companies will get you out of your contract. First of all, you signed a contract, you're legally obligated to it as far as I'm concerned, uh, but a very bad situation. But again, go to checkbook.org and look under timeshares and there's a huge article where they looked into it, talked to uh, people who uh, were victims, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. All right, Robert. One more quick question. Uh, sure. I talked to someone who just said he just stopped paying. How badly can a, can a company that's overseas mess over your credit report if you just stop paying? Because my timeshare is in Salzburg, Austria. We're not allowed to fly there anymore. Remember, we're mm-hmm. locked down in the United States. So, the payment through the timeshare? Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I own my free and clear, but I still have to pay oh. You know your, your, your yearly fee that they mess you on. In most cases, so my... Stop. In most cases, my experience is they probably won't bother you, especially if they're out of the country. But if they feel like it, they can sue you, uh, which is a, a hassle. Uh, or uh, they can uh, send you to collections. And if they send you to collections, that's going to absolutely devastate your credit score, which you need for a lot of things in life these days. So, um, you know, you may want to find out from them uh, what the, the possibility is of, of uh, if, you, if you don't want to go there, you can't do it, you want to give it back. Or if you plan to go there in the future, but you just don't want to pay now because you can't go, See if they'll give you some COVID relief, or if they have exchange programs where you go someplace in the United States, like many timeshares do. You have a number of options. I always like to look at options before I simply not pay. That can uh, can be a bad situation if you wind up, especially getting a big ding on your credit score. Right. Okay, Robert. Thanks. Thanks for your call. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. If you'd like to join us, if you have questions for Herb, the consumer man, Weisbaum, um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, this story of, of consumer advocates blasting the federal government for gutting the payday lending rules. Yeah, this is a, this is a pretty simple story. Um, payday loans have been around for a long time, and they were designed to be a way to help you in an emergency situation uh, that didn't you have to get to the next payday, so you need a, bit, a little bit of cash. Uh, if you talk to any consumer advocate group or any consumer reporter in America, they would all put their hands up and say these are the most expensive loans you can get as a consumer loan, and they're horrible products that only make money for the people uh, that uh, provide the service. No matter what the people say, that they're helping get credit in America and they're helping people uh, you know, to improve their lives. The statistics that were done by the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, under the previous administration show that that's just not the case. Hasn't stopped people from using them. About 12 million Americans use a payday loan each year, according to the industry. Supposed to be uh, under about five $500 unsecured short-term loan, basically one to four weeks, wherever you get your next paycheck. Uh, but the problem is many people can't pay that due when it's due in full the next payday. And so they roll it over and roll it over and roll it over. And according to a study that was done a number of years ago by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under the Obama administration, um, a majority of the borrowers cannot pay off the loan. So they reborrow or renew the loan at least 10 times. And they wind up paying significantly more, Nick, in fees than the credit they receive for the loan in the first place. So it's what Consumer advocates call a cycle of debt. You get yourself in, and you just get getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this debt trap. So the new rule that was going to take effect that got stopped by President Trump's uh, gang when they got in office said that the lenders were going to have to verify that you could pay back the loan when the loan came due if you're going to get a payday loan. Seemed fairly reasonable to most people in the consumer world, not to people in the credit industry, these folks in the credit industry. It's the same kind of rule that's used in all lending, Nick. They're not going to give you a mortgage if they don't think you can pay the mortgage. But the credit lenders 
don't see see that as being important in the payday loan in the payday loan arena. Uh, and so the new rule basically says they do not have to do that. They under the new rule issued by the uh, Trump administration, they do not have to make sure you can pay back the loan before they give you the loan. And we're all afraid that what it's going to result in, especially during COVID times, is an even deeper and deeper and deeper cycle of debt where people just get them in, themselves in so deep it's going to be really, really hard to get out. So for anybody listening, if there's anything you can do before you get yourself into a payday loan situation, talk to a friend, a family member, maybe if you can get a second job, something you can do, cut some expenses. It, it sounds like a quick fix, but it really tends to be a long-term problem that could possibly haunt you for years. So if you want to read more about that, the numbers, the interest rates are absolutely phenomenal. Most of them, most likely APR 400 to 600% in some states. So it's just absolutely a phenomenal uh, rate of interest that you're paying on these loans, even though it's for a short term. Uh. You know, can I ask you a question, uh, Herb? Have you ever seen these commercials with Tom Selleck uh, doing the reverse mortgage thing? Yes. Uh, what, and that, yeah, tell me, tell that, me a little bit about that. What's going on there? It's a long discussion, and reverse mortgages have gotten a lot better over the years than when they first started off, which were absolutely horrendous. Um, but the situation is that there, there can be a lot of a lot, and you have to have counseling now. There was it was such a bad situation that uh, the government now requires you to have a counselor to make sure that you basically have an idea of what you're getting into. Um, but it can lead to various problems. There have been people you still have to pay, uh, like the uh, the taxes on the property and do the upkeep. Uh, there have been people who have had their lost their house because they didn't do what was required. There are people who didn't realize that they wanted to leave stuff to the kids and they didn't have anything left because basically because they'd eaten up all the equity they had in their home. So while it can be good in some situations, people who are desperate for money or want the money, it's something that clearly has to be thought through clearly, carefully, uh, and studied and have some guidance with somebody who you know you can trust, maybe a trusted lawyer or financial advisor, not just somebody who's trying to sell you a reverse, a reverse loan. So Okay. All right. I, I just always get annoyed when I see those commercials with, with Tom well, Sutton. <laughs> because because it it it's always sounds better than it really is. And there's always a lot of catches and gotchas in these things that are really really important for everybody to uh, to consider before they do it. Okay, all right. Uh, it, it it is uh, summertime, obviously, so people uh, are probably going to try and get outdoors. But uh, it, it says be safe in the sun, the top rated sunscreens, and how to use them properly. This is helpful. Well, this was a, a you know Consumer Reports does a test every year of sunscreen. Don't we have it summertime, summertime, some some summertime queued up? Uh, <laughs> I would sing it for you, but I won't. Um, and anyway, it's really important to note that they found you know we all re- rely on the SPF factor, the sun protection factor, right. to, you know, so thirty or higher. Right. Um, but what they found is uh, they tested fifty six products, fifty three products this year, and found that thirty six did not provide the sun protection value labeled on the product. So if you put it on properly, you were not getting the protection that the manufacturer told you were getting. I find that troubling. Yeah. Um, and so that's why uh, it's pretty important. And, you know, skin cancer is up. Uh, melanoma, the deadly form of cancer, is up. Nearly 7,000 people, unfortunately, are expected to die from it this year. And everybody says that a good sunscreen used properly can reduce the risk of developing melanoma by about 50%. So it's really, really important. Uh, I'll give you the two top performers if you want to write them down, or it's also in my story for folks listening. Uh, they found that Trader Joe's spray, which has an SPF of 50, it had a perfect score, Nick. And it isn't very often products have a perfect score with Consumer Reports. Uh, this was 100 points. Wow. And so Trader Joe's spray, SPF 50 plus is what they call it. And then Copper Tone Ultra Guard Lotion, and that's SPF 70, and that had 94 out of 100. Again, very, very good scores. Copper Tone Ultra Guard Lotion, SPF 70. And they literally test these things, Nick, by having people... 
uh, like they take their backs and they put the lotion on and they let ahead of time and they do everything in the directions and then they literally fire some UV rays at them in a little controlled canister thing and then they see how they burn and what they do. And that's how, I mean, it's really human tests is how they rate these things. So um, that, that's really, really important. Um, the other thing they found out was a lot of people in this day and age want to use more natural products. They don't like chemicals. And Consumer Reports has found consistently, and this is really important for people to know, that uh, for those who use products that are made with minerals and don't want to use products with chemicals in them, they don't perform as well the products with zinc oxide and titanium dioxide as the products with some chemicals in them. The number one chemical in these products is called oxybenzone. It is very controversial because there is some evidence that it remains in the body, it gets into the bloodstream. Some thought that it may uh, get absorbed and uh, affect the endocrine, uh, endocrine system and may also be some damaging to sunscreens. And eventually some states are going to outlaw these things like Hawaii and I believe Florida in a couple of years. Right now, the federal government, the FDA, has asked the industry for more information about this chemical. The FDA pointed out that it does not mean it's dangerous uh, at this point in time, but it wants to know a lot more about it. Um, but that that's a uh, consideration. Uh, what do you do? Consumer Reports says try to use as little as possible. Um, they said there's a whole bunch of chemicals, and oxybenzone is probably the least uh, one of concern at this point in time if you, if you want to use one. Um, the other thing, of course, you can stay in the shade. You can protect yourself with clothing. Um, and uh, um, so, um, by the way, I should say the, the one that you should look, I made a mistake, the one you should look not to have in, the chemical to avoid if you're concerned about it is oxybenzone. O-X-Y-B-E-N-Z-O-N-E. That's the one that tends to be the most pro- problematic. Now, there are about 12 different chemicals used, but oxybenzone is the one that tends to be giving everybody a little gas right now. So uh, if, you're in, if you're concerned about that, uh, that's the chemical to avoid. They did test and found two products that they said did not have chemicals in it, and they were oxybenzone-free and did well. They're two Hawaiian Tropic products. So it's Hawaiian Tropic Silk Hydration Weightless Formula, and that's SPF 30, got a 69 out of 100. Hawaiian Tropic Silk Hydration Weightless Lotion, SPF 30, and Hawaiian Tropic Sheer Touch Ultra Radiance Lotion, SPF 50, and I got a 50 out of 100. A lot of names. They're all in the story. They're all on my uh, website, consumerman.com, so you can find out all about it. You also talk about, uh, in the, and they also talk about in the article, kids and sunscreen. Yes, a lot of people think there's a need for a special sunscreen for kids. They don't really rate sunscreens that way. Uh, a kid sunscreen can be used on an adult, and an adult sunscreen can be used on a kid. It's all based on the SPF. But uh, it's, So don't worry about that. There are some sunscreens made for your face. No, You don't need a separate sunscreen for your face, except they may be made in a way they don't clog your pores as much. So for if you feel better or cleaner or it doesn't give you problems with, with your face, that's a reason to use it, not that it's any different with the protection. But the big thing they pointed out, and this is really critical, is for people of color, a lot of them do not wear sunscreen. Uh, as a matter of fact, they did a survey, Consumer Reports, and found out that 39% of African Americans say they've ever used a sunscreen, and uh, 77% of Latinos and whites say they've used a sunscreen. Yes, if you have more melanin in your skin, if you're a person of color, you do get a little bit of extra protection from the sun's rays. But it does not prevent you from getting a sunburn. It does not prevent you from getting a skin cancer. African-Americans, black people do get skin cancer, not as much as white people, but they certainly do get it. So the advice is you absolutely should be using a sunscreen when you go out in the sun, if for no other reason, that'll prevent you from getting the wrinkles, which is one of the other things that sun damage does to your skin besides cause cancer. It also wrinkles your skin. So that's a really, really thing, important thing I want to get across. It doesn't matter what your skin tone is, everybody should be wearing sunscreen. Okay. All right, Herb, hold on. 
Got it. All right. Herb Weisbaum is with us. Uh, he's your consumer man. Check out consumerman.com. And for all of these articles that we're talking about, everything is posted at consumerman.com with links and details and long stories. Uh, and, and like this, the whole top rated sunscreen story is there and you can check it out. Uh, and you can call us, uh, too at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More with Herb coming up on WGN. Beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. My lover stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above. Beautiful downtown Chicago. Coming up, we are going to talk about uh, a West Loop restaurant that claims to have the most expensive uh, PB&J ever. And in, uh, we're going to talk about some of the world's most expensive foods, too. And we got some uh, Carson Comedy Classics for you. Every morning at 2.30, uh, weekday morning at 2.30, we play back a, a clip from uh, Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. And uh, we play sketches or interviews or stand-up, and uh, this is a big one. It's David Brenner's debut on The Tonight Show, his first appearance from 1971. And that's what we're going to be playing back. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Herb Weisbaum, the consumer man, is with us. And if you have a uh, concern or a question, um, uh, 312-981-7200. And hello, Herb. And I remember seeing that first uh, appearance by David Brenner. Do you? Yeah, I was in college, and I'm from Philly. He's a Philly boy, so oh, it was like, right. Hey. He is from Philly. That's right. So, yep. yeah, uh, that'll be great. I mean, I I, saw, I got to see David Brenner, um, uh, about maybe about like a couple of years before he passed, uh-huh. at uh, a, a local um, comedy club here in Chicago uh, called Zanies. And it's a it's a nice intimate room. It's a small room, and so it was really cool to see him, you know, up close. Yeah, and yeah. and he was great, and he was really funny. I had him on my show too. He was he was great. He was he. Yeah, was, he I've always thought he was funny. Yep. One hundred and fifty five appearances on the Tonight Show, Herb. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. It certainly that's is. A lot. Um, okay, let me ask you about this the, this uh, story that's developing again. Um, the, the headline here by a story that you wrote is, is that really customer service that you just dialed? Yes, um, that's a story I'm working on. Actually, it's going to be posted another day or two, but, you know, we always sneak things in for you ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but, um, so here's the deal. Criminals, and this scam has been going on for a while, but criminals are setting up customer service lines and they're, be, they're imposters. They're pretending to be the customer service line. And you, you do a Google search, and you ask for the customer service line for an airline. Uh, one of the victims, actually, did a, in the story uh, did United Airlines. Or you ask for the customer service for uh, Amazon or the customer service for Cash App. And you wind up talking to a criminal who answers the phone, whatever you think they should answer. You know, hello, United Airlines customer service, or right. hello, Cash App, whatever. And then they wind up, their their whole goal is to either get personal information so they can drain an account or do something or get you to pay cash on the spot for something you shouldn't pay for. So um, 
Uh, the, in, the, in the case of the United Airlines, it was not a real United Airlines uh, customer service desk, and they got the person to pay with a credit card number the uh, change fee for the ticket, and then, of course, it was United Airlines, so they paid money to a con artist. Um, with a Cash App one, Cash App does not have, and they warn on their website, but Cash App does not have a telephone number you can call. There is no customer service line. So they called the, this person, and this person got their, bamboozled them into giving them their personal information. You know, we need to, we need to reset your account or whatever they do, give us your stuff. And, you know, you never, ever give your PIN or password, even to the company if you're calling legitimately. They'll never ask you for that. And they got his PIN and password and stole a couple of thousand dollars out of his Cash App um, money management uh, tool that he had. So, uh, and then the Amazon situation was, uh, again, they uh, wound up stealing money from this person because somehow they got the information they needed. Uh, oh, that's right. They told her that there was something wrong with her account and that in order to set it straight, they had to get at remote access to, their, to her computer, something you never do oh. unless... You call a, a service company and know who you're talking to, and by getting in, they were able to access her checking account and drain some money from her, a couple thousand dollars from her checking account. So um, it's a really bad situation, and the and like I said, it's been going on for a while, but AARP tells me that they're seeing the Fraud Watch Network folks here, a whole bunch of complaints in the last couple of months, basically since COVID set in, and they're thinking that maybe people are home and they can't see customer service in person or they have a problem and they got time on their hands, so they're just Googling or whatever the customer service and trying to make a call. And the, the, the word is here, just be really, really careful. Uh, you know, If anybody asks you for uh, personal information or anything like that, you need to hang up immediately. You got the wrong website. Um, and uh, the thing is even worse, and what we're working on for the finishing touches on the story, is that people are now asking for the customer service to be found and dialed with their, with their smart speaker. Hey, Alexa, dial Capital One customer service. You don't know what number Alexa found. Or, hey, Google Home, dial uh, whatever. You have no idea which exact number that the, that the algorithm found. Um, and you, so it's, I'm just saying, Herb, I just want to say that I, I think a lot of devices just went off in people's <laughs> That's in, funny. That in people's in people's homes, I think uh, they're they're calling customer service lines right now. I think. Let's do that again, no. Alexa, <laughs> NWGN Radio. All right, I'm sorry. Go keep going. That's better, you know. Anyway, so that's that's a concern that I'm working on. I contacted both uh, Google and Amazon, and they're going to get back to me tomorrow. And if there's any kind of advice we can give people to play it safe, but um, you just got to really, really be leery of that kind of situation, especially now when you may not be able to get customer service in person and are trying to get over the phone. The best advice I got so far from the folks at the AARP Fraud Watch Network is get it from some reliable source. You know, if you're trying to call your bank or your credit card, the number's on the statement, the number's on the back of your credit card, the number's on the back of your airline mileage card. Uh, if you have a, uh, um, a warranty with a, a product, the, the, war, the service number's on there. I mean, just be real. Because what these guys do, Nick, is they buy the ads. And so when you do a search, they show up at the top, and a lot of people don't even realize their ads or see that little AD there. Yeah, yeah. And so they think it's a legitimate number, so they click on it. That's how they're getting people to click on their websites. Um, it's just a terrible problem. And uh, th there's one site we found that is called Elliot Advocacy, and uh, it'll be listed in the story. And what they are, there's a, they're a nonprofit group. I'm just dialing it up right now. And um, what they do is they have a whole list of uh, customer uh, uh, customer service lines. It's e l l i o t t dot org. Elliot Advocacy, Advocacy, and you can go through. They help consumers with a bunch of problems, or you can go through company contacts and get the actual bona fide customer service numbers for every kind of industry broken down alphabetically. They got airlines, auto manufacturer, uh, healthcare, hotel, 
telecom, timeshare, utilities, publishers, mass transit, that kind of thing, and know you're getting a legitimate customer service number. So when in doubt, go to Elliot Advocacy, Elliot.org, and check it out and uh, and get the right number, E-L-L-I-O-T-T. All right, there it is. Uh, before we let you go, there is a, a headline here that I want to get to. We've only got a couple, of, a few minutes sure. to talk about it. Uh, many consumers enrolled in the COVID-19 payment modification programs are finding that their credit files are erroneously tarnished. Tell me about that. So here's the deal. According to the uh, the CARES Act that was passed by Congress in March, if you get a COVID relief program, you contact your lender, like we've talked about before, and said, hi, can I skip a payment or pay a little bit less or something like that, and they agree to it. And if you're current on that account at the time you made the agreement, they cannot report your payment as being delinquent or late or whatever. We don't make that payment that they told you you don't have to make. But what's happening is because, and we knew this, I told you this was going to happen when we talked a couple of months ago, this is so big, so many different companies, they don't remember the code they're supposed to put in, so they're reporting people as being delinquent when they promised them they didn't have to make the payment. Well, if you get a delinquent payment, one late payment, and you have a good credit score, it can drop as much as 100 points overnight. That's huge have an enormous impact on your life. So what we're telling people is, and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau we found had, uh, since March, more than 650 complaints that we could verify uh, about this kind of situation. Some of them don't specify the exact reason, and there's thousands and thousands of complaints, but at least 650 that we could verify. So here's the deal. Go in and get your free copy of your credit report. If you have any kind of forbearance, forgiveness, COVID relief program, get a free copy of your credit report from Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, Mm -hmm. the big three credit bureaus, only one website you use, annualcreditreport.com, and you can get it now once every week for free through April of next year. That's a COVID thing that they've done. So annualcreditreport.com, you need to check all three because some companies don't report to all three bureaus and see if there's anything weird in there. The other warning sign, and if it is and you challenge it, there's a process online to challenge it. If for any reason your, your credit score drops overnight for free, uh, excuse me, overnight dramatically for no reason whatsoever. That is an instant warning that something is going on and you better check it out. I tell people now, you, you always should have a, a monitoring service on your credit score. Most credit cards do it now. A lot of banks, a lot of credit unions do it as a free service to their customers. If you don't get it free from one of your financial institutions, try a trusted source like NerdWallet. They have a service you can sign up for. You've got to give them your, credit, your um, debit card. Excuse me. It's not a charge. You have to give me your social security number because that's how they find your credit files to do the credit score. Right. So you have to, that it's got to be a, a trusted company and you've got to go to them. But that's the way to kiss. So if you're going along and you haven't changed anything in your life and all of a sudden your credit score tanks, that's an indication that either somebody put something erroneous in your file or you're a victim of identity theft. And I always now suggest to people that that's a really good way to know what's going on. You should actually do that. Okay. All of the, everything that we've been talking about is available at consumerman.com. Uh, Herb, it's always a pleasure uh, to have you on. It's always informative, and you help you, know, you help a lot of people out. And I learn something new every time every time you're on the show. It's always a delight. Thanks, and, and as listeners who go there, there's a, a quick thing to like your name and the email address. You get my uh, weekly free consumer newsletter. I give you the Nick podcast and a whole bunch of stories that I do for Como News, and really keep you up to date on what's happening in the consumer world to save you time and save you money and keep you uh, from getting taken by the bad guy. Yeah, make sure you subscribe to that newsletter. It's great and it's really cool, and it's all there at consumerman.com. Herb, we'll talk to you next month. Have a good vacation and uh, use your sunscreen. Okay, okay, take care, <laughs> Herb. Herb Weisbaum. Uh, the Consumer Man. Check out ConsumerMan.com. He joins us uh, uh, every month uh, to, to answer uh, any and all questions that are consumer-related, and he really is on top of things. He's very, very helpful. Um, and, and the website and the newsletter 
are are really cool. So you should go to consumerman.com, subscribe to that newsletter, and Herb will join us again uh, next month. Okay. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, the most expensive food, uh, the most expensive foods of all time. And uh, and and also, uh, there's a West Loop restaurant that claims to have the world's most expensive PB and J. If you feel like paying a lot of money for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it better be a pretty special peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it better come with milk. <laughs> So the world's most expensive foods is what we're going to talk about. If you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Here's the news. Chuck Mangione was on, uh, what was the animated show he was on? Was it Family Guy? No. Uh, King, King of the Hill. King of the Hill, right. He owned a chain of uh, supermarkets. That's right. <laughs> and they tried to uh, sabotage his concert by blowing up the stage. That's right. <laughs> it nearly, I think it actually kills a character. Not a main character, but it kills like Luann's boyfriend. Really? Yeah, he dies. Wow. Uh, feels so good. <laughs> Chuck Mangione. Apparently he's a really nice guy. Seems like it. He's always smiling. Always got a weird hat on. What's he play? What's that horn he plays? The flugelhorn. Flugelhorn. Yeah, I think that's what he what he plays is the flugelhorn. Flugelhorn. Didn't he used to be one of the hosts on American Idol? <laughs> uh, I always thought it was a trumpet. Nah, flugelhorn. It's a flugelhorn? Yeah, that's a Chuck, Mon- Chuck Mangione plays a flugelhorn. I don't know. He- I, don't, I just don't know my brass instruments. <laughs> Get your head out of your brass. I can't. Uh, I don't know the difference between a saxophone and a trumpet. You don't know the difference between a saxophone <laughs> yes, and a telephone. So, um, Hey, coming up at uh, 2.30, we uh, go back in time to 1971. We always play uh, Carson Comedy Classics here because you can see the Johnny Carson show on Tennis TV every night. So we play some stuff, and we're going to play the very first appearance, the debut of David Brenner from 1971. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200. What's the most expensive food that you've ever had? Like, what was the most expensive dinner that you've ever that you ever had? And was it worth it? So we're going to be talking about very expensive foods from around the world. But if you've ever gone out and it's like you dropped a lot of money on this uh, on this meal, and was it worth it? So like the most expensive meal you've ever had or most expensive food you've ever eaten. 312-981-7200. So the West Loop West Restaurant here uh, claims to have the world's most expensive PB&J. Would you pay $350 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? $350 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. One of West Loop's newest newest restaurants, literally named PB&J, 
is betting at least a few of the classic sandwiches connoisseurs will fork over that much dough for a taste of what restaurant owner, co-owner Matthew McCahill claims is the world's most expensive PB&J. McCahill said he pulled, he's pulled ingredients from all over the globe, including the most amazing jam in the world. The jam comes from Maison Dietrays in France and follows a tradition dating back to the 14th century, according to uh, the business owner, Anne Dutrays. She said her team uh, members are armed with a goose feather cut into a bevel of to incise of the fruit and to extract the seeds, ensuring that the berry stays intact and keeps its flavor during production. McCahill didn't stop with the fantastique edition. This PB&J known as the Golden Goose, has gold-leaf-crusted bread with gold dust in the flour. The sandwich is also topped off with a drizzle of uber-expensive Manuka honey from New Zealand. Surprisingly, the peanut butter is fairly standard compared to the other ingredients, but sorry if that disappoints. Looking for an excuse to indulge in all of this? Proceeds for any Golden Goose purchased in July will be going to Chicago Hopes for Kids according to McKay Hill. Well, that's nice. $350 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Would you pay $350 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I mean, I think it's nice that it's going it's going to go to to a charity. That's nice. Um yeah. But I would not pay $350 for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And who wants gold dust all over the what is I don't understand, you know, when they make all these expensive things. We're going to go through a bunch of whole really expensive foods, and they add a lot of weird stuff to them. Like, who the hell wants gold dust on their peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I don't want gold dust on my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, unless it's the wrestler. (laughs) So there it is, $350. And the place is called PB&J. So is that all they have? Look 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 them up online. PB and J, it's in the West Loop. So they just serve peanut butter different kinds of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Is that is that it? Well, looking at it, you know what the PB and J stands for? No. Pizza, beer, and jukebox. What? P- yeah. Pizza, beer, and jukebox? Yeah. Alright. So I mean, they serve stuff like, uh, you know, they've got like burgers, you know. Uh, Your basic, like, like, pub food. Yeah, they do They do make a regular PB&J for like, a, for like five bucks. Oh, okay. It's a Wonder Bread PB&J. White bread, creamy peanut butter, and grape jelly. But the one for $350. <laughs> you, can get, you can get a whole loaf PB&J for 35 a whole loaf. <laughs> so they take a loaf of bread. What do they do? Slice it right down the middle. Uh, I guess so. So it's like they say our classic Wonder Bread PB and J, but eight times better. Serves eight. It serves eight. Yeah. So it's a whole loaf of PB and J. Get this for uh, you get the poutine pizza. Uh oh. Sound that house made fries, cheese curds, provolone, parsley, and mushroom duck gravy. How much is that? Sixteen bucks. 
That's not bad. It's not terrible for what you're getting there. Yeah. That's not too bad. But there they are on the menu. The Golden Goose, $350. Sandwich must be ordered one day in advance. <laughs> oh, you get the... You have to order a PB and J a day in advance. <laughs> Just you got to know that you want it. I mean, to be fair, if you're going to pay three hundred fifty dollars for a sandwich, you better know that you want. Yeah, it. And, yeah. And when you order it, don't eat till the next day. Just so you can finish it, you can look forward to it. All right, PB and J pizza, beer, and jukebox. Yep, it's a little misleading, isn't it? Well, yeah, you wouldn't think, even though it's called PB&J, if you knew it was called Pizza, Beer, and Jukebox, you wouldn't assume that they serve peanut butter and jelly, even though they absolutely do. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is, $350 for a sandwich, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Again, phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. What's the most you ever spent on on food, and was it worth it? Most expensive thing you've eaten, most expensive meal? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We're talking about the most expensive foods in the world coming up here on 720 WGN, and we want to hear from you. Hi, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to go back in time to 1971, where we play our Carson Comedy Classic, as we do every every, uh, weekday morning at 2.30, and hear David Brenner's very first appearance on The Tonight Show. Right now, we're talking about uh, the most expensive foods in the world. What are some of the most expensive foods in the world? And the question that I have is, uh, what's the most you ever paid for a meal? What's the most expensive food you've ever eaten, and was it worth it? 312-981-7200. Let's see. Here's uh, Terry on WGN. Go ahead, Terry. Hey, Nick. How are you? All right. What's up? Hey, my story goes back to the very early days of the um, the fine dining thing in Chicago. And um, at the time, I was dating a woman who lived in California, and we were together for a, a, probably a good six years. And this was probably 1989. It was probably a couple years after Charlie Trotter's opened. And, and, and I'm not a fine dining guy at all. I mean, I'd much rather go to a rib joint. But, but we were both making pretty good money at the time, and she thought it would be cool to go to Charlie Trotter's. And, and so she made a reservation, and it was a very um, very formal, very high-end, very structured. We had to wear you know coats and ties and whatnot. Yeah. And it, it was cool. We were up on the balcony, and we were overlooking you know, the rest of the restaurant, and it was very cool. And I believe, if I'm, if I'm recalling this correctly, that she spent, I think it was a couple hundred, 225, something like that, and I was completely underwhelmed with regard to 
the the type of the food and the quality. I mean, I'm sure the food is very good from a quality standpoint, but we were kind of looking at each other like as they put down each course and we were kind of looking at each other like, well, what is this? And they would explain it to us and we would go, okay, and we would eat it. And so I was telling Tom, we walked out of there and on the way home, as God is my witness, we ordered a pizza to get delivered to my house within the next hour. And we were happy with that pizza that we were with anything with Charlie Trotters. So $300 later, we had a very, very good pizza. Yeah. Okay. All right, Terry. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. All right, man. I had a very good meal at, Cherry, at Charlie Trotter's years ago. I guess it was just a bad night. Okay, are you ready for some expensive burgers, Tom? Hit me. Again, uh, 312-981-7200. What's the most expensive meal you ever purchased? What's the most expensive food you've ever eaten? And was it worth it? Terry did not think Charlie Trotter's was worth it. But they did get a pizza. That's the bright side. 312-981-7200. Okay. Burgers. Serendipity 3 in New York. Uh, the price of the burger, this one? $295. Uh, La Burger Extravagant is made with white truffle butter-infused Japanese Wagyu, be- uh, uh, Wagyu beef topped with James Montgomery cheddar cheese, black truffles, and a fried quail egg. It's served on a dust, here we go, gold-dusted roll spread with white truffle butter and topped with uh, creme franche and uh, caviar. What, what did you creme, say? Creme franche. You mean creme fraiche? Yeah. If, uh, if that weren't enough... To excuse the price, it also comes with a solid gold diamond encrusted toothpick. Come on, man. Might as well. All right, how about this one? Here's your competition. While they may not be recognized by Guinness, New York Food Truck 666 Burger offers the $666 douche burger. <laughs> At least they're being honest about it. So it's a food truck in New York, 666 Burger, and the burger is called the $666 Douche Burger. It features a Kobe beef patty stuffed with foie gras and gold leaf, covered in caviar, lobster, truffles, Guerre cheese melted with champagne steam, and barbecue sauce. Made with uh, Kopi Luwak coffee. While the burger was a, a satire of La Burger Extravagant, it is actually available uh, for sale, but as of yet, only one person has actually ordered it. There's also Fleur Burger 5000 from Vegas restaurant Fleur that features Wagyu beef, Fogwa uh, patty. With truffles, truffles, truffle sauce, and shaved black truffles, your order for this is five, for is five thousand dollars. It's a five thousand dollar burger. Includes a bottle of twenty five hundred dollar wine. So really, you're just paying uh, for the burger, but still, it's twenty five hundred dollar burger. World's most expensive, even if it's not official yet. 
Five grand for a burger and a bottle of wine. I could get you that for I don't know. Listen, man, ten bucks tops. You can get you can get a, a few sliders and a bottle of Mad Dog Twenty Twenty, and it's there. <laughs> Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. <laughs> um. Um, most expensive desserts at Serendipity 3. Again, same place as the most expensive burger. Okay, you, do you know how much you know how much this 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 expensive dessert is? No. $25,000. Uh the frozen hot chocolate ice cream sundae contains a blend of 28 cocos including 14 of the most expensive in the world. It's decorated with edible gold and served in a goblet lined with edible gold. If that weren't enough, there's an 18-carat gold bracelet and a one-carat of diamonds in the bottom of the sundae. The treat is served with a golden spoon decorated in uh, white and chocolate diamonds, both of which go home with the diner. $25,000. And it's set a Guinness World Record for the most expensive dessert. Well, they should probably serve that with a bottle of Mad Dog 2020. Yeah. Because so, that's all you're going to be able to afford after you... <laughs> the blue raspberry kind. How about the most expensive curry? Bombay Brazier in London. $3,200. Um, the Samadari... Kazana, meaning seafood treasure, contains Devon crab, white truffle, beluga caviar, gold leaf, and a Scottish lobster coated in gold. Four abalones and four quail eggs. I didn't know Scottish lobster existed. Uh, Yeah, I guess it does. I guess it's expensive. $3,200 for the most expensive curry. Could you imagine... uh, Tra- you know, just stumbling into that place after a night of drinking in a pub, and you mistakenly order that. <laughs> Bad news. How about the most expensive pie? Uh, the Fence Gate Inn in Lancashire. It's $14,260 for the pie, but... You can get a slice for $1,700. This meat pie contains $870 worth of Wagyu beef filet, Chinese mushrooms that cost about $400 a pound, winter black truffles, and French bluefoot mushrooms. They go for around $160 a pound. Two bottles of vintage 1982 Chapeau Manteau Rothschild wine are used in the gravy. Another seventeen forty per bottle, and the crust is covered in edible gold leaf. What is with this edible gold stuff? I don't know. You, I don't get it. It's on. It's everything. Everything that's super expensive has to have edible gold leaf, and I think it's kind of cheating because it just it's an easy way to up the price. Yeah, it doesn't affect the taste. It doesn't affect really anything about it other than it looks like it's gold. Most expensive thing you've ever eaten? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Most expensive meal you ever had. And was it worth it? 
Phone lines are open, 312-981-7200. This is just crazy, this stuff. I don't think I've ever even gotten close to anything that expensive. Oh, no. I think the most I mean, was you maybe know, you, like... We, we mentioned Charlie Trotters. That's, that's, you drop, a, you drop a, a pretty good amount of money there. Yeah. Some of the some of the steakhouses down here, in the downtown area, Texas Day Brazil, they cost they, they, you know you can drop a pretty good amount of money. Yeah, but Texas Day Brazil is the best because it's you pay per head. It's like one hundred fifty bucks per head, but you get to eat as much as you want. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, is that that's is, is that the place where they come to the table and slice off the meat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you tell them. I've been to a few places. Like I, I haven't been to that place, but yeah, I've the been Brazilian to Brazilian Steakhouse. Yeah. Brazilian Steakhouse, good it's stuff. Real good. Yeah. My favorite steakhouse, though, uh, in downtown Chicago is Ruth's Chris. Ruth's Chris. Love Ruth's Chris. Good stuff, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200. Expensive food. What's the most you ever paid? And we got some more insane expensive uh, items to talk about here. If you want to jump in, uh, 312-981-7200. And uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to hear David Brenner's Debut on the Tonight Show from 1971 on our classic Carson clips. Now the the audio is a little rough on this one, right, Tom? Yeah, it's just a little bit rough based on how they had to, you know, store these performances. Even though it's from 71, it's saved in black and white. You can only watch really? it in black and white. Okay, because uh, preserving the film was really difficult at that time. Okay, all right. David Brenner's uh, debut performance on the Tonight Show coming up on our classic uh, Carson clips this morning. Yeah. The Jeffrey Osborne, right? Yeah. That's a jam. Hi, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio in downtown Chicago. We're here until 4. And, uh, and then after 4, we head over to Bradley Place, TV side of WGN. Get some early morning news from that great team. And then the legendary Bob Surratt has your morning drive at 5. 312-981-7200. We're going to get back to our conversation about uh, the world's most expensive foods and what was the most you've ever spent on a meal or some food and was it worth it? 312-981-7200. But every morning, uh, uh, weekday morning at 2.30, we always play back some classic comedy clips from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. And we're going back. Again, the, the, uh, the, the audio is not, not awesome. But we're going back to the very debut of David Brenner, the first of 155 appearances that he would go on to make on The Tonight Show. So this is 1971, David Brenner's debut on The Tonight Show. Worth, I saw something interesting the other day. I was driving in New Jersey, and I got lost. And uh, I always get lost in New Jersey. That whole state looks the same to me. Well, I think they have seven people and nine trees, and they keep moving it down the road. <laughs> and you know how a man is, a male ego, when you get lost? A man, when he's driving a car with a woman, will never admit that he's lost. He'd rather have his left hand suddenly turn into a foot. Boom. <laughs> Who's lost? What lost? What are you going to be lost? I know exactly where we are. We're east of the Mississippi. <laughs> 
And on the same way, I hate to ask for directions. So embarrassing. Whenever I ask anyone for directions, no matter what he looks like or how he's dressed, I always roll down the window and call him, sir. <laughs> he could be standing there picking his nose with a broom. <laughs> and his first reply is always, huh? And it doesn't matter anyway, because I can't remember directions. I sit there listening. I don't remember. I hear it, but I nod. Oh, yes, got it. Right. Over the bridges? Yes. Oh, right. Got it. Because once directions involve more than two turns, in my mind, it sounds like a prayer. All right, look, you go down here, you make a left and a right, then you dominate, dominate, blah, blah. Oh, thank you, Father. And I like the guy who comes out there. He's in his car, and he says to you, Oh, yes, I'm going that way. I've got to turn off, but follow me. I'll give you a signal. So you follow him and follow him. And then finally, when you come to a traffic circle with eight 14-lane highways feeding into it, that's when he gives you his signal. And you ever notice you go in a gasoline station, the attendance directions always start the same way. I look, buddy. Pull out of the station. No, I want to drive around the pumps nine hours. I don't want to drive. <laughs> and if you have the address you're looking for written on a little piece of paper, he always takes it out of your hand like you can't read. <laughs> Let me see that. 127 Chestnut. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and did you ever notice that the same guy works in every gasoline station in America? It's that character with the hunting cat with the earmuffs. Thank you. Of course, in July, he turns earmuffs up. And he always wipes your windshield with that filthy black rag. Which I'm convinced is being mailed from station to station. Hey, Harry, we got the black rag in this morning. Oh, good, I can wipe a windshield. Up. And I like when they give you the map treatment. They always give you, oh, look, you're right here. And his hand covers New York, Colorado, Nevada. <laughs> and who's the guy who makes maps? Why do maps have to be 20 feet by 38 feet? Everyone's got to get out of the car when you open them. I'll pick up in an hour. Just like, get out of the car. I'll pick up. When I'm lost, what I do is I pull into a small town for directions because the nicest, friendliest people in America live in small towns. But sometimes I don't understand what they're saying to me. Like they'll give you, I look, drive up yonder, peace. It's about a hoop and a holler. And make a left at the house where Elmer Bodie died. Elmer Bodie's dead, I'll be dipped. I didn't. Now, my hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania... Oh! What are you doing up so late? <laughs> but in their hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, everything's named after Benjamin Franklin. I look, you go over to Benjamin Franklin Bridge, out the Benjamin Franklin Parkway, past the Benjamin Franklin Motel. You can't miss it. It's shaped like a giant kite with a string and a key. <laughs> And in Los Angeles, you better know your direction because there's no one to ask. 
No one walks in L.A. It's against the law to walk the streets. You get arrested for walking. What are you doing, that man over there moving his legs like that? What are you, a pervert? Get him in the way. <laughs> but you, you really need a car in Los Angeles because the bus system is nowhere. Do you ever wait for a bus in L.A.? You must get discovered for the movie. <laughs> You're standing at the corner of Hollywood and Vine for nine days. Is there a bus? Is there ever a bus? I, I hold it a bus. Get him for the movie, that freak, the sunburn one. Get him over here with him. <laughs> and, if you, and if you ever take a bus, I swear, in L.A., they don't have any special route that they drive. Like, here's a driver in Los Angeles on a bus. Mm. Hey, there's a beautiful street. I never saw that before. <laughs> But the best place in America to get directions right here in New York City. No matter who you ask, it's true. It's true. No matter who you ask, you always get the same directions and you can always understand them. Excuse me, could you tell me how to get the 58th in Lexington? No, no, what do I look like? An information voice? I need to Thank you very much. But I'll tell you, the biggest problem in New York City, we have too many people, folks. You know how it is. Were you around Christmas time trying to shop? You get into millions of people. They're crushing and jamming you down the street. You can't move. You want to go here? They're taking you there. When you leave for work in Manhattan in the morning and get into that throng, the millions, you've got to announce to the crowd where you want to get off. Look, could you try to throw me off at 58th and Lexington? Yes. Try, try to get me in that next building. I work there. Thank you. Boom. Thank you. I figured out the way to commit the perfect murder and get away with it. You just take the dead body with you. And you slip it into the crowd. They take him for the rest of the week. Right? Can you see that? Also, the crowd picks him up. There he goes in a Macy's department store. Up the escalator, backwards through women's lingerie. Boom, outside, down the street past Cook's funeral home where they offer him a job as a sign. <laughs> Boom, he got thrown in the Army Induction Center where he's classified 1A. <laughs> Without coughing. <laughs> Boom, he's thrown down on the street, he falls in the traffic, gets killed three more times. <laughs> a high school class trip picks up the body, the teacher. All right, who's talking? <laughs> Is it you? The big boy in the back with the blue face, you. <laughs> Boom, they carry him to Radio City, does 20 minutes with the rocket. <laughs> Up Broadway, he gets mugged twice. <laughs> and raped once. <laughs> Finally, the body is picked up and carried and thrown onto a 6th Avenue subway. Boom, a cop sees him. Hey, Harry, look at that guy. Weird, huh? Standing on his head, holding a strap with his foot. But we can't do anything unless he spits, smokes, or carries a lighted pipe. Wow. What a set, huh? That's a, that is a, that, he killed his first time on The Tonight Show. By, that's how long ago it was. They were still in New York. They were, the, the Tonight Show was still in New York. It was before Johnny brought it to L.A. Burbank. Boy, that was a, that was a really good set. Very funny. <laughs> oh, David Brenner. 
Yeah, he was great. He was really great. That was a good. But the first, what what a debut, huh? Now, did you watch enough of it? Did he call over the couch? Um, he did not. Okay. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if, the setup was a little different in New York. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was still. Uh, I mean, when did, when did Johnny start? When did when did he take over the Tonight yeah, Show? When did he take over the? It would have been like mid sixties. Yeah. Because yeah. it was Jack Parr. Jack Parr was him. before him. Yeah. But yeah. So I don't know if he had started doing the come on, come on over thing. Yeah. Because by the time Johnny really hit his stride, it, he, I mean. Well, you know, I've, I've, we've talked about this before. Any stand-up comedian who did the Tonight Show, if they got called over to the couch, it was the biggest thing ever. It, you know what I mean? If Johnny called him over to the couch, that was it. You you made it. <laughs> well, clearly going to be one of the highlights of your entire career is getting called to the couch. Wow. Actually, Johnny started on the doing the Tonight Show in February of... 1962. 62. I think, yeah. Yeah. It was out of New York all the way up until, I don't know, mid-70s? Early 70s? Early 70s. On May 1st, 1972, the show moved from 30 Rockefeller Plaza to Burbank, California. Yeah. Because Johnny wanted to go to L.A. and Johnny gets what he wants. (laughs) Beautiful downtown Burbank. Well, that's how you get the celebs, man. You got to be yeah. You got to be based in L.A. Well, um, you know, Fallon is based in New York. That's true. And uh, Colbert is based in New York. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just different now. <laughs> I mean, at the time, yeah, at the time. Well, Colbert is actually, you know, I mean, he's in the Ed Sullivan Theater. It, that he is. Yeah, that's where, uh, of course, Letterman used to be. So. Boy, Letterman was mad when he didn't get the Tonight Show. I would be, too. Yep. He lost it to an unfunny guy with a really big chin. Who used to be friends with him. So You know, he pulled that twice. Think about that. Oh, the, 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 don't I, even get me started on the Conan thing. Don't, don't, I can't even describe to you how angry I was when that happened to Conan. First of all, they put that moron Jay Leno in primetime before him. Because he wanted to do a five-night show, so he did primetime. Nine, nine to ten he was on. Local news, Conan. And I'll tell you something else. The last time they did a Tonight Show-like anniversary show, there was no mention of Conan ever hosting it. They went through all the hosts, no mention of Conan ever hosting it. Oh, I was so mad. I was so, so mad. Jay Leno. To think I used to like Jay Leno. Years and years and years ago, in the early days, you know? And then his appearances on Letterman were great. Like, he was hilarious when he would come on Letterman. He was edgy, and he was really funny. And then, boom, that's it. He drank unfunny juice. So, anyway. Well, that was fun. Debut of David Brenner. Okay, we're going to get back to the most expensive food in the world. What's the most you ever paid for uh, some food, or what's the most you ever paid for a meal, and was it worth it? 
Yeah. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. It's Nick DeGilio on uh, 720 WGN here till 4 o'clock. We've been talking about some of the most expensive foods in the world. What was the most expensive uh, meal you ever had or the most expensive food you ever ate? ate, ate and uh, was it worth it? 312-981-7200. Um, here's Joanne on WGN. Hi, Joanne. Hi, how are you? All right, what's up? Um, lunch at the Eiffel Tower. Lunch at the Eiffel Tower? Mm-hmm. What did it cost you? 125 euros. 125 this, euros. This was about 13 or 14 years ago. That's a lot of money. It was a plate. It was steak tartare, best I've ever eaten. The chocolate dessert was to die for. Wow, there you go. And all in the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Mid-level. And the reservations were made six or seven months in advance. Oh, man. And we were fortunate there were five of us. We stayed in a hotel, a 400-year-old building. It was a former convent right across from the Louvre. Wow. That sounds like a great trip. It was. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is if you go to France and you you see filet mignon on the menu, it's pork. Oh. If you want beef, you have to order filet of beef. Ah, okay. But the food was, it was well worth it. Okay. All right, Joanne, thanks. You're welcome. Have a good one. See ya. Nice tip about going to France, even though I'm not going to go. Like I'm going to go to France. Why not? I can't afford to go to France. What are you, nuts? We can't go there now anyway. That's true. Yes, save up some money. Yeah. Go to France. Just go to LaGrange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go, to, we'll, we'll go to Paris, Texas. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. God, Harry Dean Stanton is good in that movie. That's a heartbreaking movie. Vim Vendors, man. I remember I was dating a girl. She hated it. I hope you broke up with her. Um, not that day. Well, you you wasted some time then. Well, she was really hot. I'll give you that. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But she hated it. She was bored out of her mind. And she was like, I never thought that movie was going to end. It's a slow mill. It's a slow movie. There's just, I, mean, I won't argue that. The pacing is very, very slow. Isn't there a isn't there a Cairo, Illinois? Or yeah, they call it Cairo. Uh, yeah, I think I think they say Cairo. They yeah, say Cairo, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Forget forget Paris, France. Go to Paris, Texas. Paris, Texas, man. Hang out with Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> He's still there to this day. Yeah, the ghost. All right, we, we, you want to hear about the most expensive frittata? Fr- frittata. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have you ever had a frittata? What is a frittata? Um, Do we know? It's a, it's like a, it's frittata is like I think if I'm not mistaken, it's like a baked. I know it's an egg dish, right? Yeah, like a baked egg dish. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can find that at Norma's in New York. The most expensive frittata. You ready for this? Thousand bucks. That is a one heck of a frittata. You know, you can get a you can get a, a dozen eggs for ninety nine cents. I don't know if they know that or not. Yeah, but are these eggs gold encrusted? Well, let's see. Here's what's in it's the zillion dollar lobster frit- frittata. 
Uh, 10 ounces of caviar, one pound of lobster. Wow, a pound of lobster. Jeez. Six eggs. Cream and chives. Um, that While that might not sound that impressive, consider the fact that the restaurant has to pay $65 per ounce for that particular caviar. That actually sounds really good. Have you had caviar? Yes. What does it taste like? Uh, it's a, it's kind of like, it's kind of, I mean, well, you know, it's kind of, it's a, it's got a little bit of a crunch to it. Okay. Just a teeny bit. It's got a chewiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the consistency is not one of my favorites cause you know, they're I, like little, little, they're little bobbles. eggs. They're yeah, little, little teeny eggs. They're sturgeon eggs, right? Is that what they are? Uh, they're, I don't know. I know they're, I know they're fish eggs. Yeah. They're little teeny sort. fish eggs. I, I've had, I had it at a, a Christmas party. Oh. Mm-hmm. Fancy Christmas party. Yeah, it was a fancy Christmas party, and um, I had t- I, I tried it twice. I had two crackers with the caviar on it, and you're like, "Yeah, this is good enough." It was fine. It's a little salty. You know, probably not worth the the price. I'm guessing not sixty five bucks per ounce, man. <laughs> All right, um, but that frittata sounds good, man. Caviar, pound of lobster, six eggs, cream, chives. Oh. The lobster is what's what's getting me here. Yeah, but you know how I feel about dairy. Well, yeah. You got six eggs and cream. Come on, man. Forget the lobster. Yeah, leave the lobster out. I'll take the eggs and cream. How about the most expensive bagel? At the Westin Hotel in New York. At the Westin? Price for, for, for the bagel. $1,000. Executive chef Frank Tujag topped the most expensive bagel with white truffle cream sauce, berry-infused risling jelly, and a gold leaf. At least a portion of the proceeds are donated to a scholarship, which benefits uh, current and future culinary uh, students. Thousand bucks for a bagel. I can live with that if, you know, they're making these really expensive things and yeah. they give some of it to, you know, kids or students. I can live with that. Yeah, but that's a thousand dollars, man. Thousand dollar bagel. All right, how about this? The most expensive pizza. Margot's pizza in Malta. Twenty four hundred dollars for a pizza. Up to one hundred grams of white truffles and gold leaf. It's all white truffles. Everything is truffles and gold leaf. Orders must be placed one week in advance, and on the bright side, the chain gives all the money from this particular pie away to charity. That's one, n- nice. A lot of the, a lot of these places giving the money away to the charity. Um, most expensive hot dog. Most expensive hot dog. You ready? Hit me. It's a capital dog. D A double G. W G. Okay, uh, that's Dag. <laughs> yeah, this is Dog. Uh, it's in Sacramento. Most expensive hot dog, one hundred and forty-five dollars and forty-nine cents. The California capital city dog is a three-quarter pound, eighteen-inch, all beef frank with French mustard, garlic, herb mayo, sautéed shallots, mixed baby greens, applewood smoked, uncured bacon, Swedish moose cheese. Which costs $200 a pound, tomato, dried cranberries, pepper, and a basil olive oil, cranberry, pear, coconut, balsamic vinaigrette. Moose cheese? Yeah, and it's served on a herb focaccia roll and with white 
Truffle butter. Good Lord. I, I can't get over the moose cheese. So so someone out there has to make mooses they got, cheese. They got to milk a moose? I guess so. That seems like one of the most dangerous professions you can have. Well, you get a hot dog out of it. Pretty good one. Yeah. All right. We got more very expensive food. What's the most money you've ever spent on a meal? And um, and uh, the most money you've ever spent on uh, on any type of food? And was it worth it? 312-981-7200. I'm trying to remember the most expensive meal that I ever had. It probably, I mean, it might have been at Charlie Trotter's. Because that was a lot of money. I don't remember how much it was, but it was a lot of dough. So, Roy Leonard got me the uh, reservation. Ooh la la. Yeah. Well, you know people, you know. Yeah, he know he knew he people. Knows, he yeah, knew I didn't people, know anybody. I was him. an idiot. So, uh, it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Exactly. All right. Uh, we got the news here and, uh, and more uh, right after this. Nick DeGilio on WGN uh, on 7:20. We are live in the Skyline Studio, and we're here until four, as we are every weekday, uh, late night into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. We've been talking about the most expensive foods in the world, and some of this stuff is crazy, and a lot of it includes gold, <laughs> which I'm not quite sure. And I and I think you're I think you're right, Tom. That's a cheat. It's totally a cheat. Yeah. I mean, truffle is one thing, because truffle is delicious. Yes, it is. You put that on anything, instant delicious. And it's a really expensive ingredient. Right. You have to have those truffle-sniffing pigs. Mm. You know, they're not easy to get your hands on. Gold is pretty easy to get your hands on, actually. Yeah. And I don't... It's just expensive, and it doesn't taste like anything. No. So, uh, expensive food is what we're talking about. Here's Big Ed. Go ahead, Ed. Good morning, Nick. Yeah. How you doing? All right. Go ahead. Uh, I asked Tom to look up this recipe for Peking duck. Now, it's, like, ridiculous. It takes, like, 24 hours, I think, to prepare this meal. I've never had it myself because I, I think duck's a little greasy. I've had but, I've had Peking duck. It's delicious. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how long it takes to make it? Uh, it takes a long time to make it. Yes. Well, see if Tom can bring that up because it's ridiculous. All right. Well, take care, Nick. All right. Take care. Yeah. If you're if you're doing it the ultra traditional way, yeah. which most places aren't necessarily going to no. do, because this is I mean this is a uh, recipe that's been around. Since like the imperial era. Oh yeah. Of, of oh yeah, China. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, so if you're cooking the duck properly, uh, at one point you are you are meant to leave the duck to stand for 24 hours in a cool, dry place, or in a refrigerator. It is then roasted mm-hmm. after that. If that if you're doing the full Monty, it does take yeah 24 hours to do that. All right, you you looking for the most expensive ramen? Of course I am. Fujimaki, 
Gekayo, Tokyo, $110 a bowl. <laughs> you know how many packages of ramen you can get for that? <laughs> yeah, that's a, col- a college ramen. A college student would be eating for, for months. Yeah, that's crappy ramen. I hate instant ramen. Oh, I like it. It's fine. I like it. I grew but, up on it, man. But you've had real ramen, right? Of course I have. But uh, but but I grew up on that. I grew up on the packaged ramen. It is so salty. It is so bad for you. Yeah. Oh god. I mean, yeah. That little I, that little silver packet. Salt. I've been there. You know, we've all been there. Yeah. Surviving off of ramen, and you know, it's gets the job done. But <laughs> just as an adult, do not eat it. Is bad for you. I have not had that kind of ramen in a long time. It's been a long time since I've had it. That's good. What about cup of noodles? Oh, cup of noodles. <laughs> I remember. You got to love cup of noodles, man. There was at one point I was between paychecks and I just had no money for food. And uh, all I had was like, I don't know, maybe a dollar in cash. And uh, the cup of noodles at the Seven Eleven I live by, it was a dollar fifty, and I was just like, I put the cup of noodles on there. I was like, "Hey man, I've only got a dollar," and the clerk looks at me, he's like, "Just take it, just take the cup. It's worth nothing." Yeah, <laughs> cup of noodles. Good old cup of noodles. That's the kind of stuff people bring to work. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's for, good for you, work. Yeah. You know, if you you can even at, eat it at your desk. Yeah, all you need is hot water. That's it. Yeah, but it's always scalding. I've uh, I've I've seen people here at the station bring in the cup of noodles. Got to rock that cup of noodle. Yeah, more often uh, on the other side of the river there when we were in the trip. Yeah, I would see it more often there. Uh, so the ramen. You ready for this? Mm. This isn't the ramen that you snacked on during your college days. Uh, owner chef. Shochi Fujimaki opens the doors to his menuless reservation-only restaurant to those who have already dined at one of his other restaurants. Once you get access to the restaurant, you will be served the five-taste blend imperial noodle noodles made with over 20 ingredients in two different soup stocks. Wow, that's pretty exclusive. You can't go unless you've been to one of his other restaurants, and you got to pay 110 bucks for a bowl of ramen. How about most expensive soup? That's at uh, the Kai Mayfair in London. $190 a bowl. Do you know what, do you know what the name of the soup is, the, the dish? The Buddha jumps over the wall. That's what it's called. The Buddha jumps over the wall. 190 bucks a bowl contains shark's fin, abalone, Japanese flower mushroom, sea cucumber, dried scallops, chicken, human ham, pork, and ginseng. Uh, orders must be placed five days in advance so that the chef can source all the ingredients. Wow. I wonder how annoyed he must get, you know, or whoever the chef is. Someone calls that and he's like, all right, now I'm going to be busy doing this crap for the next five well, days. What if he gets like five orders? <laughs> That's where are you going to get all that rare ginseng. Yeah. Ginseng, man. That'll give you a kick. 
Don't they put that in monster energy drinks? Ginseng will not. It will yeah. Mm-hmm. You you big fan of ginseng? <laughs> I'll tell you something, man. We used to take it before we did uh, the the play alive. We would take it about when we'd first get to the theater because we got to the theater. You know, your your calls an hour beforehand, before curtain, hour before curtain, and we would get there hour hour and twenty minutes before curtain. Pop every every cast member, all six of us would pop ginseng. What like a tablet or yeah. My God. Yeah. We would pop ginseng. And then by curtain, we were like, ah. <laughs> we were ready to go. <laughs> we had all that energy that we needed to do to, to a good show. You know, some people, uh, you know, you would think that someone would be like, oh, you always do a bump of cocaine. It'll get you go. That's what no, like, we did ginseng. Yeah. These guys are doing ginseng. Yeah. It's a legal high. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it'll kick you right in the butt. I might have to try that. If I if I ever come in really wired yeah. one night, you'll know I'm... It's uh, better than caffeine. Probably. No, it is. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an herb, right? That's, yeah. All right. It's a plant. Plant-based uh, butt kicker. <laughs> Cocaine's so, a plant, too. <laughs> it is true. All right, I uh, got some weather for you, and then we're going to get back to more expensive food. Some of this stuff is insane. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Today, uh, clouds build as the day's warm human air comes in. Scattered afternoon thunderstorms, some heavy downpours, a uh, high of 87. Tonight, clusters of uh, storms um, and also strong gusts and downpours. The maximum thunderstorm concentration will be from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Warm and humid with showers winding down beyond midnight and a low of 70. Uh, tomorrow, becoming partly uh, sunny, continued warm and humid, a high of 86. Thursday. Summertime cumulus clouds, warm inland, moderate humidities, uh, cooling lake breezes near the lake. There's a slight chance of an afternoon thunderstorm south of the city, high of 83, but only in the upper 70s at Lakeshore. Friday, mostly sunny, warm, humidities are creeping up a bit higher, high of 88, cooler near the lake. And for Saturday, mostly sunny, turning windy, hot and humid, high 92. Uh, Currently 73 degrees at O'Hare, 73 at Midway, and 72 at the lakefront. Okay, more expensive foods coming up right here on 720 WGN. If you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. Yeah, man. Hey, we had the writer of that song on the show sometime back. Good old Frankie from Frankie and the Knockouts. Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, we go over to uh, Bradley Place, TV side of WGN, get some news and information from that great group. And then the one, the only, the legendary Bob Surratt is your morning drive host starting at 5. 312-981-7200. We're talking about some ridiculously expensive foods. And uh, have you ever had, like, a really expensive uh, piece of food or a really expensive meal, and was it worth it? 312-981-7200. Here's Chris on WGN. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, Nick. How's it going? All right. Uh, you and Tom were talking about ginseng. Yeah. And there's a, a channel on regular TV. It's called Quest. Okay. And Sunday nights they have a show called Appalachian Outlaws, and it's based on the guys who hunt for ginseng. Oh, no kidding. It, 
in the backwoods of West Virginia. I've been watching it for two months. It's fascinating what these hillbillies do. Oh, that's fantastic. It's on what channel is it on? Quest? Quest. It's a 60.3. All right, I'm going to have to see if my if my cable comes. Do you have Comcast? No, it's, it's regular TV, over-the-air TV. Oh, it's over-the-air TV. Okay. Um, but it's crazy. It's uh, what these guys go through. They get like $900 a pound. No kidding, really? And these guys will these guys will bring in you know thirteen, fourteen pounds and walk away with just thousands and thousands oh, of dollars. Oh man! All right, but I'm it's, gonna. It's what, a fascinating show. Man. What's it called again? Appalachian Outlaws. Appalachian Outlaws. I'm, yep, def- I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna check it out, Chris. I appreciate it, buddy. It's, um, Sundays at midnight. Sundays at midnight. Okay, Sundays at midnight. Appalachian Outlaws. Thank you, Chris. Not a problem, man. Great show. Right, yeah. Hunting the ginseng, man. They're probably all hopped up on ginseng juice. Them good old boys. Appalachian Outlaws. Appalachian Outlaws. It's like when they had, what was it, Amish Mafia or something like that? Amish Mafia? Yeah, there was a show. It was Amish, Amish Mafia? Yeah, Amish Mafia. Amish Mafia? Yeah, they were Amish criminals. Hey, do you know what this sound is? What? Click, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop, bang! <laughs> clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. It's an Amish uh, drive-by. <laughs> One of the dumbest jokes of all time. All right. All right, how about the most expensive sushi? You can request it from Filipino chef Angelito uh, Anaretta Jr., Sushi. Uh, it is, oh my God, it's $1,978.15 for five pieces. $1,978 for five pieces of sushi. Well, each piece of sushi is wrapped in gold, gold leaf, topped with caviar. Three Mikimoto pearls and served with a diamond. No word on what fish was actually used on the inside of the sushi rolls. Uh, but I'm kind of hoping it's imitation crab. <laughs> you fan of sushi? Sushi? Yeah. You you know what sushi <laughs> sushi is. Yeah. Okay. This is I'm just asking if you're a fan. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's I like it. I like it quite a bit. Um, my only thing is, is that it's not super filling. Like it's super tasty. It's very, very tasty. And yeah, you can eat a lot of it too. Well, you ever go to those those cool places where they have the conveyor belt? Yeah, well, those are su- those are dangerous. That that would will turn into your most expensive meal oh yeah because if you because they color the plates it's yeah based on the color and you of just the plate. dra- and it goes by you on a conveyor belt and you just grab it yeah because <laughs> usually you start out you're getting like you know Cal- maybe a california roll that's soup that's pretty cheap you know a little yeah. california roll that yeah you move up to maybe some with some crab in it yeah. and all of a sudden you see the one that's like the godzilla sushi yeah you're like well i gotta try that it's four hundred dollars yeah it's tasty though it's also cool. Those yeah. conveyor belt, the conveyor belt stuff is cool. Yeah. I, I I just think that's I think that's an awesome way to serve food. Oh yeah, and the and the sushi chefs are just nonstop. Oh, they're yeah. It's just plate and plate after plate after plate after plate, just putting it on the on the conveyor belt, and going. Yeah, it's full on. Yeah, 
there used to be a place in the in the hip, a burger place in the hip. This is a long time ago. That um, would serve your burger in a train, like a toy train, and it would it, they would the toy train would bring it out to you. Do they steal it off the choo choo? You never like you have you ever heard of the choo the choo choo restaurant? No. It's in Desplaines. It's, that, it's, the, it's the same thing. It serves you burgers and fries on a it's little... Probably, it's probably, it was probably... That was probably what... It was like part of that chain, I guess. But yeah, no, that's it was it was really cool. I love that. Yep. It's very cool. Here's Adam on WGN. Hi, Adam. Hey, Nick. Hey. Yeah, I had the uh, tomahawk steak over at Gibson's. Oh. Once. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Uh, I could cut it with a fork. I didn't even need a knife. Yeah. Gibson's Gibson's had, Gibson's, Gibson's has good steaks, man. They have good yes, steaks. Yep. yep. The tomahawk steak. Oh yeah. That's a big piece of yeah, meat like, too. Yeah, it was like 30, 36 ounces or something like that. Oh. It comes from some some kind of cow that uh, gets massaged every day yep. high in the Andes Mountains or something. I don't know. Something yeah, like no, that. that's yeah. It, it's true. It's got this incredibly complicated backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. But it was delicious. I bet it was. All right, Adam, thank you. All right, thanks. See ya. A cow that gets massaged every day high in the Andes. That's right, man. You got to take care of the cows. <laughs> Gibson's is a, great, is a great place. Gibson's is a great steakhouse. You know, they, I mean, just the look of it, you know? They have a Gibson's, they have a Gibson's uh, right down the street from the Crown Plaza Hotel. Yeah, they do, yeah. Uh, where Flashback has been... Uh, held that's not happening this year though mm-hmm. and i remember um the year that my future ex-wife dana de lorenzo was there for the weekend at flashback um i was i had to host the outdoor screenings and uh fright night was one of them and because uh, tom holland was there amanda beers was there not that tom holland no tom holland the director yeah not spider-man no no, Tom Allen, the director of Fright Night and the director of uh, Chucky, the whatever the hell, what's it, Child's Play. Mm-hmm. And we showed that double feature. And so I was sitting outside, and my phone, my phone buzzes, and it's Dana. And she's like, hey, why don't you walk over here to Gibson's? Let's have some steak. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm wearing a horror t- I don't have the proper attire. To be in Gibson's. I mean, I, I my 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 bag in my in in my hotel room, it's it's filled with like horror t shirts and shorts. And she's like, just come on over and get a steak with me. Because her father was in town, and so she was having steak over at Gibson's, and she had a few cocktails too. Let me just say that. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I didn't go over. Oh, I didn't. No, I, they wouldn't have let me in. That's true. They do got the dress code. You know, I was like, you know, I'm wearing a Leatherface T-shirt and a baseball hat. <laughs> they should what? let you in. I would. I would be like, this guy's got. <laughs> this guy's got the right idea. And shorts and chucks. They're not. They're not going to let me in. This guy's hardcore. Not that I don't like. I love Gibson's. I think Gibson's is great. But I did miss out on having a steak with my future ex-wife Dana De Lorenzo. You know, I kind of wish every establishment had the same dress policy as the green mill, <laughs> which is you can show up dressed to the nines 
or in literally street clothes. Well, you yeah, can... I was a regular there, so yes, <laughs> I can I can vouch was... for the you can just show up in anything. Yeah, you probably showed up like pig pen from the peanuts. Yeah, clouded dirt falling you. Well, yeah, and I would sometimes Animal. get there. I, I sometimes get there after closing a two o'clock bar. So you can imagine how disheveled that was when <laughs> crawling in. Help me! No, crawling out more likely. <laughs> Go in and order some Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. The... <laughs> Restaurant idea. Mm-hmm. You serve nothing but burgers Mad and Mad, Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. <laughs> you must sign a release. Have you ever you had Mad it. Dog Twenty Twenty? I have. Me too. <sighs> yeah. Cheap, tastes like high school. If the man. if the idea if the idea is that you want to get drunk quick, there it is. A nice big bottle of what the hell are you looking at? Yeah. All right, I got some weather for you, and then we'll come back and talk more about what's the most expensive meal you ever had, or maybe not even just the most expensive. What's the best meal you've ever had? Can you go? Can you actually narrow it down? Like, what is the best meal that you've ever had? Three one two nine eight one seven two. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a restaurant. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, best meal you ever had. We're talking about the most expensive pieces of food, too. Some insane stuff coming up. Uh, okay, here's your weather. The clouds are going to build. The day's going to be warm. There's going to be humid air coming in. We'll get some afternoon thunderstorms and heavy downpours are possible. High of 87. For tonight, clusters of thunderstorms. We could have some downpours and strong gusts. Uh, between 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. is when we're probably going to see the storms. Warm, humid showers will wind down beyond midnight uh, and a low of 70. Wednesday becoming partly sunny, continued warm and humid, and a high of 86. Thursday, sun and mixed summertime uh, cumulus clouds. Moderate humidities with cooling lake breezes near the lake and a high of 83, but only up to the upper 70s at the lakeshore. Friday, mostly sunny, warm humidities creep up a bit higher, high of 88, cooler near the lake. And Saturday, mostly sunny, turning windy, hot and humid, and a high of 92. Currently, 73 degrees at O'Hare, 73 at Midway, 72 at the lakefront. Nick DeGilio and WGN Radio, what is the best meal that you've ever had? We're going to talk more about it. Really expensive food as well. 312-981-7200. Blue jean, baby. Right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the uh, Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago here until 4 o'clock. And we're talking about uh, the most expensive foods in the world. Um, and then uh, also, um, what was the best meal you've ever had? Um, uh, or most expensive? 312-981-7200. Um, I got to say, Tom, the best food I've, I ever had on a trip was when I went to New Orleans. The food is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I had some of the best, I had some of the best meals of my life in New Orleans. And I went to the, I went to the original, uh, Emeralds restaurant. That was one of the best meals I've ever had. What? Now I know... This might be a stupid question. Emerald was not cooking there, right? No. Okay. 
No, I mean it was his restaurant. Right. But this was like right. This was like right when he. This is peak Emerald. Yeah, like when he first burst on the scene, he was on the Food Network. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just kind of hoping that you know at Emeralds, he could go to Emeralds and you could hear from the back of the kitchen just bam, bam, yeah. bam, yeah, yeah. That'd be kind of nice, but I. I mean, the uh, it food's was good. It was a, the, the the restaurant was set up beautifully too because you could actually see the kitchen, so you could see them preparing the food. I I love when a restaurant has that. Heaven on Seven used to, or maybe yeah. Heaven on Seven is, is it is it still open? No, they closed. Heaven on Seven. Uh, in the AMC 600 North Michigan. Right, right. Yep. I used to go there all the time. One of my favorite restaurants on the planet. And they had that open kitchen yep. sort of thing. I like that a lot. Yep. that's You could sit at the counter. Oh, really? Yeah, I sit right at the counter, right by the right where, where they're preparing the food. All the greatest restaurants allow you to watch them prepare the food. Heaven on 7. Emeralds. Yeah. Diner Grill. You know? <laughs> all the greatest restaurants on earth. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny because both... You know, Emerald and Heaven on Seven specialize in Cajun food. Um, and I guess maybe that's a thing. But now, Heaven, I used to go to Heaven on Seven all the time. All the time. That play, that restaurant was one of my favorite restaurants in the, in the, in the world. There's still one in the South Loop. Mm-hmm. There's still a Heaven on Seven in the South Loop. But so both specialize in Cajun, but Emerald did that blow Heaven on Seven out of the water. It's one of the best meals I've ever had. What'd you get? A gumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, I got a, a gumbo, and then I got a uh, um, a fish dish with uh, spiced rice and steamed vegetables. I thought you were going to say a third thing that rhymed. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and my ex-wife got a steak. So, and you know, she got a steak and like I think garlic mash. Very nice, if I remember correctly. It was a long time ago. That sounds sounds gorgeous. But all the food that we had uh, on on that uh, on that trip to New Orleans, all the food was unbelievable. I mean, it was like it was town. like every meal was good. Even if we were in a bar, and we got like something, you know, where else? I, oh my God! You know what else was one of the best meals I ever had? We went to my ex, my second ex wife, and I on our trip to Ireland. We went to a pub. That served, um, you know, you know what was really insane about uh, Ireland? The seafood was amazing. Amazing seafood in Ireland. And I guess I didn't really expect that, but it makes sense. It's an island. So, uh, but they had a, uh, uh, a crab claw soup. <sighs> and, and it was just at a small pub. You know what I mean? It wasn't even a restaurant. You had to sit at the bar and eat it. And it was amazing. Every single meal we had in Ireland. Incredible. Um, okay, how about the most expensive ham? You ready for the most expensive ham? And I don't mean Jim Carrey. <laughs> um, you can find it at the Food Hall in London. Um, it's $2,682 for a 15 pound ham. And that's about $180 a pound. All right. I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this. Okay. This ham is made from pigs that were only fed acorns and roots to give them a distinctive flavor. Acorns and roots. I used to be in that band. Um, the ham is then cured for three years before being put 
in a handmade wooden box with an apron handmade by a Spanish tailor. And just so you know what you're getting, each ham comes with its own DNA certificate confirming its authenticity. That's nuts. $2,682 for a 15-pound ham. You, know, you can get a can of Spam for like two bucks. <laughs> I was watching Worst Cooks in America, which is a show that I love. And it's um, Alex Grunicello and uh, Ann Burrell are the hosts. And they have these, these people, they can't cook. One of the ingredients that they had to use was Spam. And uh, and prepare it in some sort of special way. But you know, you, they don't ever say whenever whenever spam is featured on like a, a cooking show or a food show, they never mention it by name. They always call it spiced ham because spam is a is a is an actual you know trademark trademark and a and a and the name of the product. So well, they they say a can of spiced ham, and they're not going to take that publicity. I don't know. All right, spam. I see you. Yeah, but I think they can't say it. I know, but you would think that they could, maybe spam could work something out here. Maybe sponsor the segment, you know, do a spam, a spam sponsored segment. But yeah, I get why they can't say it. Yeah. Only Monty Python can get away with it. (laughs) But, um, I don't like spam. That sketch, it, the thing that kills me about that sketch, besides everything about it, because it's so funny, I don't, uh, there are so many inexplicable things that Monty Python does. That's one of the reasons why they're so genius. You know what I mean? Like the, some of the, it's just so random. Some of the jokes and the stuff that they do. What? Why Why is there a group of Vikings in <laughs> in the diner? <laughs> <laughs> Never not funny. Uh, I will say this, though. Have you ever seen a Monty Python movie at Bruin View? <sighs> I had to leave. I had to leave Holy Grail. I had to leave Holy Grail because there was a bunch of drunk people talking along with the movie in really bad English accents. Because, you know, everybody knows every line of that movie. I, you know, listen, I'm a Python dork. I'm a Python geek. I know every line of, you know, Life of Brian and Holy Grail, but I'm not going to say it out loud. You know what I mean? I, you know, but it was just, I had to leave. I left like a halfway through the movie. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. All I wanted to do was get drunk and watch a Monty Python movie. And and then like halfway through, I'm like, I got to leave. I got to go. These people are morons. Then I went back and I saw Life of Brian there. Not as bad because... I mean, it was it was you know there was there were still dorks there, but Life of Brian is not as quotable as 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 uh, as Holy Grail. Holy Grail's got so many classic, you know, bits in it. It's just a flesh wound, you know, that <laughs> stuff you could put on T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> lesson of the cheese makers. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, life of Brian. Life of Brian. He's not the Messiah. He's a, <laughs> He's very, a very naughty boy. boy. Well, there we go. We've just become dorks right there. Oh. <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> Who am I? Uh, it's quarter to four in the morning. <laughs> life of Brian. <laughs> We're the people's front of Judea. Judea the Ju- people's front. <laughs> <laughs> boy <laughs> oh it's such a good movie okay more expensive foods what's the best meal you ever had i want to hear from you 312-981-7200 i don't know if i'd be able to merit to narrow it down and i always have that soft spot for my mom's cream of mushroom onion green pepper pork chop dish with mashed potatoes and corn that's my favorite thing that my mom my mom cooked. Uh, yeah, it's the best. So, uh, you got a favorite meal? You, the best, your best meal you ever had? Most expensive? We still got some more expensive foods. Speaking of life of Brian, it uh, looks like John Cleese is going to be on the morning news with uh, with Dino, or he, wa- or he already was. Uh, what's he promoting? I mean, he's clearly the well-being of society. I mean, I'm not complaining because any more John Cleese on TV is always good. So, hey, is uh, Faulty Tower streaming? It used to be on Netflix. It's it, not anymore. It's, I don't think it is anymore. Come on, man! I don't know what to tell you. That was a funny show. You like Faulty Towers, right? Love Faulty Towers. Oh my god! <laughs> and Basil is such a bastard. <laughs> Cleese is so good. Oh, man, well. All right, we got some weather for you, and then we're talking about uh, more expensive foods. What's the best meal you ever had? 312-981-7200. You like Faulty Towers? <laughs> um, so today is Tuesday. Clouds will build, and it's going to be warm and humid air will come in. We'll have some afternoon thunderstorms, some heavy downpours, um, and it'll be a high of 87. Tonight, clusters of... Uh, Thunderstorms, uh, maybe some downpours and strong gusts. The thunderstorm concentration will be between 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. That's the time frame. Warm, humid, with showers winding down beyond midnight, low of 70. Tomorrow, becoming partly sunny, continued warm and humid, high 86. Thursday, summertime cumulus clouds. Warm inland with uh, moderate humidities and cooling lake breezes. High of 83, but only in the upper 70s at the lakeshore. Friday, mostly sunny, warm. The humidity will creep higher, high of 88. Cooler near the lake. Saturday, mostly sunny, turning windy, hot and humid, a high of 92. Currently 73 degrees at O'Hare, 73 at Midway, 72 at the lakefront. All right. What's the most expensive meal you ever had? Most expensive food you ever bought? What's the best meal you ever had? Nick DiGiulio here on 720 WGN. Whatever happened to Christopher Cross? I don't know. He just went on living his life, I guess. He went sailing. 
and he did that song from Arthur. Oh, yeah. When you get dropped between the moon and New York City. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. Yeah, you know, that hilarious movie about an alcoholic. <laughs> and its sequel, Arthur 2, On, On the, the Rocks. Rocks. <laughs> How about Sister Habit? Or Sister uh, Sister Act 2. Back in the Back Habit. In the habit. My favorite, House 2, the second story. That's my favorite of all of them. House 2, the second story. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Sister Act. All right, you ready? Most expensive foods in the world continues. Matsutake mushrooms. These mushrooms are so rare that their price now reaches... As high as $600 for a single kilogram. Jeez. Matsutake mushrooms are native to Japan, but they also grow in several different Asian countries. However, their number has decreased significantly due to the effects of insects and invasive trees finding their way into the shaded areas which the mushrooms grow. Because there is no way to cultivate Matsutake uh, mushrooms, there's a high chance that they could disappear altogether. Wow. Got to go mushroom hunting. You ever go mushroom hunting? I have not. I can't say I have. I haven't either, but I've always wanted to. Seems like a lot of fun to me. Uh, Kopi Luwak coffee. This coffee is produced in industrial quantities in Indonesia, the Philippines, and in southern India. Kopi Luwak is the most expensive coffee in the world. Uh, the cost fluctuates between $250 and $1,200 per kilogram. It's famous for the very specialized way in which it's processed. Um, let's see. Cecilia? Hi, Cecilia. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. You're on here. Oh, hi, Nick. So I wanted to say um, <clears throat> two things, the expensive meal and then most favorite. Okay. Uh, you know, at, I think it was RPM Steak, a friend treated me to a steak, and I think it was like 88 bucks. Not very good, I have to say, because I don't like it super. Um, I like it a little more well. So they decided to pound it out and flatten it, and it was just dry and not good. And, you know, that's frustrating if you're spending a lot of money, you know? Yeah. And then um, one of my favorite meals, and I have to say also, I had this grilled cheese we were drinking. I was in New York at the Standard, and I think it was like 18 bucks or 24 bucks. It was so delicious. I know it was late night, but it was just a great, you know, gruyere, like a blend of cheeses yep. with like thinly sliced tomato, and I don't eat tomato, but the way it was made, you know, it was just so delicious, and like shoestring potatoes, delicious. Yeah, I've been to the standard. I've, I've, I've been to the, I've been to the standard. The place is great. Yes. Oh my god, it was so delicious. Yeah. And then for my most favorite meal, and they've closed for years, and I remember they reopened, and we'd always go to every location was Iggy's, and they had that lemon butter bow tie pasta. It was to die for. It was wow. Lemon butter bow tie, like farfalla, I believe that's how you say it, with chicken and I think sun dried tomatoes. 
it was some, or maybe not, but it was so delicious. Yeah. It was just the best thing, and I can't find anywhere that really makes that. And I, I've got to learn. I'm cooking myself and learning more in quarantine, and I haven't been able to afford like delivery. And hearing all this food makes you think, oh my god, I, I, I miss going out and having you know being able yeah. to order something delicious. Yeah. 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 Okay, Cecilia. Thanks for the call. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Take Bye. Care. How about white pearl albino caviar? One kilogram of his caviar costs a ton. The albino sturgeon is a kind of large fish that lives in the Caspian Sea. The cost of the caviar is so high um, on account of the fact that the eggs from the albino sturgeon are procured very rarely, only when they're estimated uh, at about 100 years old. Swallow's Nest Soup. I've heard about this one before. The nest of these birds is made almost entirely of their saliva without any additions of foreign material. Consequently, their nests have become a delicacy in Chinese cooking. The high price of this dish is easily explained. Collecting swallows' nests is a somewhat dangerous occupation. The birds build their nests on sheer cliffs where the risk of falling off is very high. The cost of this delicacy, thus, is around $3,000 per kilogram. So you got to climb on the edge of a mountain to get this nest? So you can have some soup? Go to Jewel, grab a can of Campbell's. What the hell? Jeez. Saffron. Oh, this is a, this is a crazy expensive... The cost of this seasoning can range from $400 to $1,000 per kilogram. This is because saffron grows only seven days a year in autumn. It's collected and processed by hand. Moreover, to collect one kilogram of saffron, it's necessary to pick 300,000 flowers. Yeah, saffron, man. When I see, whenever I see anybody, you know, like, you know, doing a cooking show and they're like, okay, now, now. Oh, you just top it off with a little saffron. Okay, now you might be a, a rich chef, but I'm a dork sitting on my couch. I can't afford saffron. White truffles. We know that. It's 2,000, uh, 2000 euros for one kilogram of white truffles. That's in Europe. 2,000 euros. How about the AM... Samani black chicken. Uh, The AM Samani chicken is bred in Indonesia, but it isn't exported to different countries because of fears that it could spread bird flu. This breed of poultry is so rare that one chick costs around $200 in Indonesia. And outside of the country, this price can reach thousands of dollars. All right, there you go. How about dried Iberian, uh, dry cured Iberian ham and moose cheese? Moose cheese can be a thousand euros per kilogram. Most expensive cheeses in the world is moose cheese, which is produced in only one place on the Moose House Farm in Sweden. Moose milk is required to produce it. Moose cheese is white in color. And its appearance is reminiscent of feta. Uh, it's made with very limited, very limited uh, quantities. 
That's a, that's the second time moose cheese has been mentioned on the show this morning. Very popular, uh, very popular item, moose cheese. That was my name in college radio. <laughs> oh man! All right, we got the uh, the early morning news coming up.